This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. This is the show where we uh, we talk about real-life issues and hopefully give you real-life solutions, things you can do to make your life better, healthier, you know, so you can live longer, love stronger. Man, today we got to talk politics. First hour, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be joining us. going to try to figure out, for heaven's sakes, uh, what's going on. Well, first, we really ought to talk about Nancy Reagan passing of Nancy Reagan. What a what a treat she was. Really, honestly, growing up, I you know, Ronald Reagan was my president when I was I don't know, 10, maybe 12. Gets shot. I just remember thinking, what a perfect little couple. And um I didn't realize how politically active she was. Um she actually met with the Pope uh to to talk about drugs. Nation worldwide, I guess, started the uh, the anti drug program. What is it called? What's her What's her What's the line that every kid in high school ever learned about? Does it just say no to drugs? Don't do drugs. No, just I think it's just say no. Just say no. Nancy Reagan passed away, ninety four years old. By the way, nobody loved her, their husband more than Nancy Reagan. Took care of him. Incredible stories coming out today. So we honor and want to, you know, want to respect her incredible life. And Joe Cannon happened to have been uh, in the in the Reagan White House as an assistant administrator of the EPA. So we're going to get his take on her passing. Also um, want to get into we got to talk about Bernie and, and Hillary in their debate. That's another interesting moment when. Bernie basically asked Hillary to be quiet, not be quiet, but give me a second. Let me finish. Let me finish. And it and it created kind of this um this this backlash this backlash of can you say that? Where some of your friends destroyed this economy. <laughs> you know through, excuse me, I'm talking. Let him sprung. If you're going to talk, tell the whole story, uh, Senator Let Sanders. me tell my story. You tell yours. I will. It's getting personal. It's getting a little edgy there. Not really. Well, I mean, that's as edgy as you've ever seen that's the Democratic just, debate. Well, yeah, but that's just like decorum of how we're going to operate this debate. You talk, I talk. You talk, I talk. Mm, I think you did it twice, too. This is She kept normal. talking over him. I know. So do you think she's baiting him? Huh? She baiting him? Sure. Everything's Everything's calculated. You think? Yeah. No, I, I every breath, so. every thought, every blink of the eye. But I think she every does, random he, object coming out of Ted Cruz's mouth that he sucks back in that the internet no, is just obsessed. No, as the to, what was that piece no, of that's food the GOP. or what was that? The Democratic side's a little different. Two on two. It's been two on two for a month. All of a sudden, they're getting testy. Why? Hillary's got such a big lead. Bernie's coming out swinging. This is crazy. I mean. It, that's as out, as out of control as you'll see the Dems get. But uh, now they're fighting about um, guns. They're fighting about Flint. In fact, here's Sanders' clip on um, on the Flint 
fiasco. It was beyond belief that children in Flint, Michigan, in the United States of America in the year 2016 are being poisoned. So I believe the governor of this state should understand that his dereliction of duty was irresponsible. He should resign. Hmm. Hmm. Let's hear what Hillary has to say about uh, the exact same issue on Flint. I know the state of Michigan has a rainy day fund for emergencies. What is more important than the health and well-being of the people, particularly children? It is raining lead in Flint. And the state is derelict in not coming forward with the money that is required. Hmm. Many say they're, they're polarizing the Flint issue. Right? It's all politics. Just, they're, just, they're just making a political issue. Reality is, folks, it's all political right now. This is the uh, you know presidential election. Everything that comes out is going to be political on both sides of the on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Trump and uh, and the whole GOP party they split the I guess not necessarily fully split it. Trump picked up two states, uh, Louisiana and another one, and honestly. He was, everyone thought he might do the run. He might be able to go get five other uh, states this Saturday on Super Saturday. He picked up two. Cruz picked up two. And Rubio picked up Puerto Rico. No, yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah. Not bad. He dominated. Huh. It was like 79% of the vote. I thought Trump was going to run away with all this. Not in Puerto Rico. Yeah. You got to go to Puerto Rico to get the vote. But uh, the 29 or whatever there was. Yeah. It's fairly small. It's a small. It's a small <laughs> But grab. still, it shows... You know, the, the organization of... No, it doesn't. <laughs> when you think about it, um, I think the weekend, the, the ultimate image has got to be given back to Donald Trump. Again, stealing all the news. Just see the uh, where he asked everybody to basically make a pact. Everybody raise your hand. I'm going to have you swear an oath. He had everybody in the audience raise their hand. You can go out and you can vote early. So go and do it. Go vote. You got it. Okay, wait. Let's do a pledge. Don't do it, Everybody here. Who likes me in this room? Okay. I've never done this before. Can I have a pledge? A swearing? Raise your right hand. I do solemnly swear... That I, no matter how I feel, no matter what the conditions, if there's hurricanes or whatever, will vote on or before the 12th for Donald J. Trump for president. Yay. The way you edited that, it it, it doesn't there's, fully there's, do it no, justice. But it's so long with the cheers and because everything. Because he, he does like... I do solemnly swear, and then everybody in the audience says, I do solemnly swear, and then the next line, he goes off, and nobody can remember what he said. So they can't keep up with him. But the imagery of it, which a lot of presidential elections are about the image, it just looks strange. A lot of people equated it to like a Nazi... Well, when people are already equating you with Hitler and just yeah. trying to tear you down that way, mm-hmm. and they're trying to, you know... It's this cult of personality. People aren't really voting on on substance. They're just voting on whatever the 
you know, the, the, the persona you put off type of thing. And then you do something like this and it just feeds into that narrative when, you know, he's just trying to rally people to support him, but it, it just looks bad. But, you know, he doesn't seem uh, to care. So. No, he died, whatever. And, I mean, he still did okay, picked up two states, but he barely, that Louisiana win was kind of scary because a lot of the votes that got him the Louisiana win came from early voting. He he pretty much tied Cruz on the on that on the day of voting. The, those people that were voting on that day. So many might uh, be saying that Romney's hit and other people's you know take against the anti-Trump movement might be starting to take hold. So we'll talk to our Washington insider Joe Cannon about that. Just it's just again crazy politics. Crazy politics. What do you do? Trump, by the way. Um, He's convinced Rubio just needs to get out. Personally, I'd call for him to drop out of the race. I think it's time now that he drop out of the race. I really think so. I think it's probably time. You know, I don't think tonight he can get up and rant and rave and, oh, he did great. He comes in third. He comes in fourth. Every time he comes in third or fourth, he says, you got to be able to win. And he has not been able to win, and I think it's time that he drops out. I would love to take on Ted one-on-one. That would be so much fun. Because Ted can't win New York. He can't win New Jersey. He can't win Pennsylvania. He can't win California. I want Ted one-on-one. What about Kasich? Kasich, like, uh, uh, hello, I'm still here. He's there, but... I'm, I'm here. <laughs> hello. He's just running for someone's vice president. Kasich has to do well in... Uh, Michigan, he has to kind of do well in that Rust Belt, because if he doesn't do well in the Rust Belt, you know, then he's not holding his own. Um, by the way, there's Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is also saying Rubio ought to drop out. It's, it's interesting that they're both convinced he needs to go. He needs to drop out. I, I think it's nice of them to give such advice. You, you need to get out. You just you need to go. Um, Donald Trump apparently had a, a misspelling issue. Slightly, uh, yes. Just a, a slight misspelling issue. Let's hear about that. They don't want to vote for a liar. You have Lion Ted Cruz. I call him. I nicknamed him Lion. I say Lion. How would you spell that? L-Y-E-N. Lion. With a big <laughs> apostrophe. But, you know, you have Lion Ted Cruz... And- and he goes on. You know, the president doesn't need to spell. Potato. Potato. That's right. Okay. Politics. Ain't it great? Well, it's fun. Uh, it's heating up a little bit in the Democratic side. It's, uh, I don't know what it is. I think the Republicans are maybe imploding, self-destructing. We'll see. We'll ask. Or they'll, you know, write the ship and pull it out. Who cares? What do you mean, who cares? I think at some point you just have you have a scuffle, mm-hmm. and then everyone finds their feet, and uh, the person that wins stands up, and that's who your person is, and we don't end up with... I mean, I have been a long supporter of... Uh, I'd like the convention to be as convoluted as possible. <laughs> I think it'd make for great TV. Normally, you watch the convention, it's just a bunch of speeches, yeah. and then the person that has been leading for the last three months steps up there and makes it official. It's like It's like a great... You know, it's like roadkill. You just—it's there. You it's, know what it is. You know, you can watch, but but if it's if it's different than something you haven't seen before, you want to slow down. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you know, 
Like there's been a on my on my way to work. There's a skunk on the side of the road. It's been there for a couple of weeks. It's still there. It was, it's not interesting to you anymore. No. But if it was fresh and new, first time skunk, yeah, you may take a look. Yeah. Might slow down. But it, That's if it's just gross. If the if it's a, a contended convention, if it's if it's there, if it's brokered, if it's that that's a new thing. That would be a new thing. They're revising rules. They're trying to make sure there are rules for this sort of yeah. thing. So that would be interesting to watch. But I don't think we're going to get there. But I, I, I think they're going to fix this, and uh, you know, Trump will just pull away. Um, but Mitt Romney's he still may be thinking, you know, well. m- maybe there's a chance for me. Any one of those three uh, is a real Republican. Uh, They've demonstrated over time that they uh, share uh, conservative values. There's some differences on policy or on uh, tactics to implement policy, but I'd be very proud having any one of them at the top of the ticket. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is someone who represents something entirely different and, in my view, is not at all the real deal. This is a guy who pretends to be one thing and is something else entirely. I wonder if he thinks Donald's, Donald's the guy. I'm at a point where we're looking at Donald Trump and the future of the country. And we say to ourselves, is someone with his record and someone who believes the things he believes, which in my view would lead to a recession and to a trade war and would lead to a world being less safe, do we want that person to be president of the United States? Can't even spell. I I I don't like making fun of somebody's spelling. I don't. Just don't like it. Because I myself have spelled lion the wrong way. But this, spelling me. But this is a real concern. It's not just making fun of someone. It's Yeah, it is. That's true. We're gonna sort through it all. Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. He's in he's in the studio. He's here. He's here today to walk us through uh, what's going on politically in the country. First, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world we need to worry about? As we talked about, Nancy Reagan, former First Lady of the U.S., has passed away at the age of 94. According to a spokesperson, the cause of death was congestive heart failure. She'll be buried at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. Next to her husband, Ronald Reagan, details of the funeral will be announced soon. They'll have a viewing at the library with the funeral to follow. Foreign diplomats are expressing alarm to U.S. government officials about what they say are inflammatory and insulting public statements by Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump, according to senior U.S. officials. Officials from Europe, the Middle East, Latin America, and Asia have complained in recent uh, private conversations, mostly about the uh, xenophobic nature of Trump's statements, uh, said three U.S. officials who all declined to be identified. The three officials... Uh, see a full list. Uh, there's a full list of countries they will not disclose who have complained, but two say they have uh, included at least India, South Korea, Japan, and Mexico. U.S. officials said it was highly unusual for foreign diplomats to express concern hmm. even privately about candidates in the midst of a presidential campaign. U.S. allies, in particular, usually won't don't want to be seen as meddling right. in domestic politics. Mindful they will have to work with whoever wins, so you don't want to take yeah. sides. But well, they seem to yeah, be taking they, a side. They can't not take a side. Democrats will be in a town hall tonight in Detroit. It'll be at 6 Eastern on Fox News. It'll be the first time in two years that Hillary Clinton has appeared on Fox News. Wow. Yeah. There was, some, there was some question. Bernie Sanders agreed to be part of this, and Hillary hadn't given her acceptance yet, and then she accepted, I believe it was yesterday. Yeah. Officially. So, uh, Ray Tomlinson. Have you ever heard of that name? No. The man credited with founding email 
Oh, cool. Passed away at the age of 74, hmm. according to the Sydney Morning Herald. According to the report, Tomlinson died of a heart attack. He was part of a team of computer programmers at a research and design company, Bolt, Baranek, and Newman, now BBN Technologies in Cambridge, Massachusetts, had begun the experimenting with internal messaging in 1971. Tomlinson had, no, had an idea how to send text messages between computers using a new network, the predecessor to what we call the Internet today, and uh, routing those messages using the at symbol. He created that idea Did for that really? at symbol, so that's all his fault. That's as to why you have all that to go into this yeah, blame morning. Blame him. Peyton Manning, expected to announce his retirement yeah. from the NFL, I believe today, yes. Today at a press conference in Denver, uh, part of this had to do with his... Uh, there was a time limit set for the next season's contract, and it had to be done by, I think, Wednesday... So he needs to get out before Wednesday so they don't pay him 20-something million dollars to decide he's not going to be a good quarterback next uh, year. So He's gone. Done. 18 years, NFL career, he played 14 seasons in Indianapolis and the rest with the Broncos. But Great career. Yeah, and he equaled his brother in Super Bowl wins, which is really the whole goal here. Well, I know, but his brother's still got some time. Yeah, but it's Eli, so he's going <laughs> to oh. fail. <laughs> a dig. A dig on Eli Manning. We are going to take a break. When we come back, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us. We're going to find out, uh, you know, pick his brain. And also just find out his feelings about the passing of Nancy Reagan, one of America's uh, greatest first ladies. Uh, Interesting, interesting discussion coming up. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, every Monday morning, uh, especially during political season, we like to bring in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, and find out, uh, you know, what's going on politically in the world. He hates to be known as the Washington insider. It's just that he is on the inside of Washington and knows uh, a lot of people in the know. So we like to bring him on. Joe was a past uh, chairman of of the Utah Republican Party but also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, also served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA uh, Environmental Protection Agency under Ronald Reagan from 83 to 85, was the editor of the Deseret News, which is a, an Intermountain uh, newspaper here in, in the Intermountain area, and um, also president or CEO, sorry, of Fuel Freedom Foundation, trying to you know, improve the the cost of fuel here in the United States, also improve the markets and the competition so that we can all benefit from, from better and uh, better, uh, more competitive markets in fuel. Joseph Cannon, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. This is, um, it's a sad day. Nancy Reagan passed away and you worked in the Reagan administration. So you probably had a, a view of the Reagans close up. Well, uh, to be honest, not not much from not Nancy, too close, but yeah. but uh, but uh, wow, her passing does remind us of, for many people, a much more glorious and noble era. Although, when you go back, there was a lot of mud wrestling yeah, then there too. There was stuff going so, on. So. It's in, I love hearing the stories. Uh, Ronald would sit there in a meeting with Nancy, even in the meeting, and he'd write her a love note, pass it to Nancy. Nancy would get a love note from the president. It's uh, Especially with the GOP, where they invoke Reagan's name so much, um, It's it, it seems like we have lost a generation 
of I don't know propriety. I don't know what it is. Just more a more elegant presidential, you know. Leader. Well, yeah. I mean, when people think of elegant, classy first ladies, oh. they definitely think of Nancy Reagan and and uh, Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. So, but she was more. Uh, she was. She, was, she yeah. was a very strong player. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many legendary stories. I have no idea how many of them are true, but you know that she was the one responsible for firing John Sears in 1980, right after Iowa, when uh, when Reagan lost to Bush in Iowa. Uh, that was she, the end of John Sears. Did. And a lot she of people would say that she was the one who pushed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she definitely played in, in a number of the uh, personnel decisions at sort of a high level. And, um, you know, she had her favorites mm-hmm. and she, she, she clearly played a role. And was role. tough. She was, all, she was a tough woman, but she elegant was tough, in front. tough and monomaniacal about mm-hmm. her husband's heritage, legacy, and role when he was president yeah. yeah so she was no she it was a wonderful marriage they they really seemed to love each other mm-hmm. and uh uh on and off screen so to speak right 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 um is i, I mean i guess too maybe the role of the first lady is changing as well right i mean because she was very politically active her just say no to drugs program to this day is still being implemented is is, is it different now do you sense with our with the first lady or the first Man of you know is is it a different role? Um, I I mean it, it's so uh, idiosyncratic to the person. You yeah. Know? I mean the first lady. There's of course there's no job title, so right. you can make it what create you create what you want uh, out of it. And uh, you know Michelle Obama, for example, seems to to reach out to children and children's programs and wanting to do things there, and and she's carved out her her niche and it just. You know, it. Um, I mean, I think Hillary tried to be the co-president when she was uh, first lady. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just so. I mean, Hillary got into health care. That was a big yeah, jump. That yeah. was huge. So it, it's just it's so dependent on the you know the person. What do you What do you see? Uh, I, might, I might just say Laura Bush was yeah. also you know had into reading and things, right. into, you know childhood reading programs and was in her own way classy, not quite as. You know, Nancy Reagan was her persona, right? Right. Uh, it, just in her own right, and uh, she she acted that way. Talk to us about why, and you hear it all of the time. Everybody invokes Reagan in the GOP, right? So everybody, what is it that I mean? Some have even equated Trump. I think in maybe a reach. Trump is kind of Reagan esque in that he wasn't he wasn't on in the supposed establishment. I guess is that. Why do they invoke Reagan so much for those that didn't grow up through Reagan? Yeah, well, I just want to be clear on record. There yeah. is nothing that Trump has in common with Reagan. <laughs> with Ronald If anything. Even, even if, the media, if, even if, the Hollywood guy? Well, I guess they, yeah. Uh, Different Hollywood, too. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Don't don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get on we the we'll, we'll get on the show. narcissistic vulgarity yeah. that is Donald Trump totally, in a minute. But, yeah. But um, the the thing about Reagan was he was consistent. Yeah, he was 
Trump will say, yeah, Reagan used to be a Democrat, too, but Reagan became a Republican right. in the 40s and, and was consistent. He had the radio program for many, many years that he wrote his own stuff for. When you read those writings, he didn't have a speechwriter. It was astonishing, his grasp of, of uh, the conservative literature and conservative hmm. philosophy. Uh, he'd been a governor. He gave probably the most famous speech of 1964. No one remembers that. Uh, uh, happily, I was alive, and I do Were remember the speech. Then? I was in California. Uh, he later became the governor of California. Uh, so he was a substantial political force, hmm. in addition to whatever he was bef- before that. And there's nothing, if not consistency, yeah. that, that describes... Ronald Wilson Reagan. I guess that is what they, because it's the Reagan Democrat. Reagan was able to not just get Republicans and conservatives, but kind of more of a moderate Democrat he was able to get. Well, what Reagan was, was he was a politician first and an ideologue second. Hmm. Uh, So everyone tries to lay claim to uh, Reagan's, the philosophy but Reagan was a likable, decent mm-hmm. guy. But would make a deal? Yeah, he would definitely make a deal. I mean, you know, so you're, you're, um, you know, people, there's, what I thought when I saw um, Mrs. Reagan's passing mm-hmm. is I thought, you know, it just reminded us all, there is no Ronald Reagan on the stage today. Yeah. There are plenty of people who want to lay claim to his philosophical yeah. heritage, but, yeah. and then they might, they might, they might have that, but, uh, Reagan was a kindly, decent, honorable. You know, this is a person who wouldn't, t- would not take off his coat in the Oval in the, Office. That's right. You know, I mean, imagine the vulgarity that was that mud wrestling, pig wrestling debate last <laughs> Thursday. That couldn't no right. nothing could have been further from Ronald Reagan. It, that's what there is some symbolism in uh, in Mrs. Reagan passing. Not having to watch this, these debates and this yeah. election. Yeah, it's probably yeah. brought her a lot of peace. Um, talk about uh, what you thought about, A, probably on level of uh, vulgarity, probably one of the strangest debates ever. No, I, I couldn't believe I was, what I was hearing. But I, 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 before we just get to the debate, I want to say that yeah. it's a big cliche in politics that a, that, that a week in politics is infinity. <laughs> we haven't had a week like this last week in many years. Yeah. I mean, it was a cataclysmic week at, at many different levels. Yeah, so we'll, Super we'll Tuesday, get into Romney, Super yeah. Tuesday. Super Tuesday, the debate, so-called debate. I, actually, it, it turned out to be a Saturday Night Live uh, um, uh Episode. It, did, did it, 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 it was beyond parody. And <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, they made a mistake. They're they're, they're running a tape from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, no. Nope. But, but yeah, so you had the Super Tuesday. You had the debate. You had Romney. You had uh, Saturday. Super, so, yeah, Super Saturday. So, so, sort of Super Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Semi Super. Um, and Saturday. then you had you had Nancy Reagan's death. All of those things In together. Uh, it was an amazing week. Uh, it was an amazing week. Do you sense that, like the Romney issue, it was it's interesting because he came out basically Trump's a phony. You can't vote for Trump. Anything but Trump kind of movement. Do you think that impacted the rest of the week? Well, I guess my own reflection go, going back 
sort of going up a level and looking, sort of looking the yeah, whole down. panoply of, of events is Trump is a, is a symptom, not a cause. Mm. And I think Romney's speech was a symptom, not a cause. They, they both were a reflective of, of deep movements um, out there. So we, we wouldn't have Trump if we didn't have a, a country more inclining to this cesspool politics, politics of no reflection. Romney represented, I, I think, his speech in itself um, probably didn't do very much. But it did coalesce. It marked a point where people said, okay, no, we, enough is enough. So it, it emboldened a lot of the not Trump. But again, it was still symptomatic because there was a, there was a massive not Trump movement already. And you saw it in, in, the, in the debate and you saw it in things leading up to the debate. You saw all of a sudden Cruz and Rubio not attacking each other, right. but attacking... Uh, Some sort of alliance, yeah. it looked like. Yeah, at least implicit, not if right. not... Uh, I mean, you, you know, Cruz is opening up ten offices in Florida. He's he wants to deliver the knockout punch yeah. to, to Rubio. If Rubio can't succeed in Florida. Rubio's out, right. and he may be out anyway. Yeah. But uh, but, uh, but the level of discourse between the two is completely changed. They're not attacking each other. So whether they have an explicit or implicit alliance, uh, it's certain that they are not Trump. Yeah. And, um, so that you know that was a, an important development of which again Romney was emblematic more than necessarily causative. Mm-hmm. In, in do, do you think? And I, it sounds like though Cruz is benefiting from. Well, we let's go and we'll we'll, cause, cause, we'll go back and look at the results of, yeah. of Tuesday and Saturday. Uh, you may well have seen as well George Will and many people have talked about peak Trump. Mm-hmm. We may we may finally have seen peak Trump. Cuz that was um, one of your big points is if yeah. if Trump's not getting on Super Tuesday or was it Super Saturday better than 40% of the vote then yeah. then yeah, he's, he needed, he is and now is at the point where Jay Cost a lot of listeners won't know who he is but he's a, a you know was a brilliant analyst for Real Clear Politics and now writes for National Review but his calculus, and it's a very statistics-driven guy, his yeah. calculus is that going forward, now Trump has to win 58% of all the delegates in the remaining race okay. uh, to, to walk in with the, you know, the, yeah. the magic 1,273 or whatever number. Man, yeah. which is, that seems impossible, especially if five people stay in the race. Well, and... Uh, no, if anybody if anybody drops out, if Kasich drops out, if Rubio drops out, it's going to end up being uh, Trump, not Trump, but also soon Trump Cruz. Cruz and uh, m- Trump is not very many people's second choice. So you're seeing you know more of a coalescence. Right. I think you started seeing that actually on Super Tuesday, and yeah. it became very manifest on Saturday. In fact, those the the results are for uh, Puerto Rico was all Rubio, Maine uh, went Sanders, Clinton, Kansas. Um, or Sanders, sorry. Kansas went Cruz. Kentucky went Trump with 35.9% of the vote, barely beat out Cruz by about four points. So close race there. Cruz won in Maine by uh, about 13% of the vote. I mean, these aren't these aren't the blowouts you were thinking you'd be getting, right? No, not only no blowout, when you look on Saturday, for at least... Cruz got more delegates than Trump got, 
and uh, and of course splitting the races. Yeah. All all told, in all of the primaries to date, Trump has only reached forty percent in one state. I think. Yeah. And uh, so he does appear to have uh, a hardcore base of support in the yeah. mid thirties. Um, and uh, what, what you're seeing is the coalition of the, you know, not Trump folks. The the Louisiana, and then we'll take a break, but the Louisiana vote was interesting because Trump was dominating in the kind of the, the pre- the pre-Saturday vote, all of the mail-in votes, mm-hmm. he was he dominated that. But when it got to the the people that voted that day, it was it was pretty even. Yeah, two two big takeaways from that. He in no case did he get as much as the pre polls, the pre polling polls showed. A and then B, the late breakers all broke away from him. Hmm. And again, I think that was that's an interesting uh, sign. Um, yeah. Is it? Is and, it, sa- and Saturday just confirms that. I mean, we're talking about Louisiana on yeah. Saturday, but that I think that trend, not I think that trend was apparent in, on Tuesday, right? And it became more more clear on Saturday. So it seems like Cruz, although he didn't win, I guess it was he he split the the Super Saturday, but got more delegates. Cruz is. He's on. He's coming up, and this is he the, going to be the one you think the GOP is eventually going to get around? Well, Lindsey Graham. Even Lindsey, even I was going to say, even Lindsey Graham is holding his nose and saying, "Okay, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he's not Trump," and so he's I, not I, as bad as Trump. Right, right. That's so crazy. That's a. It, it's a weird year, isn't it? It's uh, really, <laughs> like I said, unfortunately, it's probably symptomatic of America as yeah. a whole. And yeah. not, not any well, and even political as a whole. Uh, the politics for the last uh, long, probably, I don't know, 16 or 8 or something, 20-something years. Let's take a break, Joe. Come back. Continue the discussion. Uh, I really want to, to find out what you think about what's going on with uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and, and the Democratic side as well. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend show, um, when we when we talk about this, you know, we, we've got the we've got a, an incredible mind with us um, that can walk us through not only history but the the entire process. This is a complicated scenario that's going on here um, with the GOP and their and their nominating process. And so joining us is Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider. He uh, is also the, the CEO of FuelFreedom.org, Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization designed to um, and organized to, to lower the fuel costs, increase the market um, place for fuel in the United States. Joe, thanks for being with us again. Thanks, Matt. Poor guy. you got to just keep well, being here every Monday. I love politics. I know you okay. do. I'm and not quite what you think I am, but I, but I do like politics. <laughs> He's not the Washington insider, but he is. He totally is. Talk to us about, because uh, everybody's saying, okay, so, you know, uh, Kasich might win Ohio. That will that will take away a lot of uh, delegates. Uh, somebody's going to win Florida. Apparently, might be Rubio, except he's behind. Trump 
has a second home there. So he, I think, is leading. But now we find Ted Cruz is going to run 10 new offices down there. He's basically trying to split the vote, it looks like, in Florida, which seems weird because it would give – is it proportional? Is, is Florida Florida's proportional? proportional and uh, Michigan is proportional okay. too, by the way. So, so that's why uh, I get in there, yeah. grab some of those delegates. Um, if this does get to convention, which it looks more and more like it might – and the decision is going to be made at the convention. Over and over, I keep hearing people say, well, you can't just go into the convention and then have Mitt Romney just take it. Well, I don't think that will happen, by the way. Okay. It, it's going to be one of the candidates. It will be one of the candidates with delegates. And the way it's shaping up right now, I'm not forecasting this. and Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm not in favor of this, but I think what's happening is going to be you'll have a, a Trump-Cruz fight. At the convention, hmm. that's what's that's what's most likely to happen at this point. Because th- these delegates are all pledged delegates, but these delegates uh, will then their representatives will go to the convention, right? And they'll be making the decision, and they can swing their vote based on well, depending the on the state. The convention can change the rules anytime it wants, but what actually happens is the first round, everyone is supposed to vote the way the way you're supposed pledged to vote. To vote. So. That would happen, and as things are shaping, I think we said off yeah. off mic the um, the like you know I said J- Jay Cost is looking at you know maybe having Trump having to win fifty eight percent of the delegates going forward. That so seems highly unlikely. Yeah. So and right now, if you look at the delegate count, Trump I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Is Trump has like three hundred and three eighty nine three eighty nine according but, to CNN. And but Cruz not, has three hundred and two. Yeah, but not Trump has almost five hundred. Yeah, so that's right. So when you're going in, um, there, I, I'm sorry, I did want to go back to say yeah. one one particular dynamic of the of the primaries you have to look at going forward is which are closed and which are open. Right. And Trump does better in the open primaries than the closed primaries. And some of these big states now are are closed. Michigan, for example, is a closed primary. So that would be Um, where kind of you have to be a Republican to vote. vote, And so you can't have any swing outsider. The big, big, I'm going to call them Trump Democrats. They may or may not have been Reagan Democrats. Uh, They could have been George Wallace Democrats. (laughs) You know, George Wallace won the Democratic primary in Michigan in 1972. Wow. Okay. That's why uh, Michigan's in such play so, right now. Right. Now, but it's a close primary, so yeah. a lot of those folks are not going to be able to find their way into the... Uh, is is the, the polling polls. based that way? Because the the polling may say that, you know, Trump has a has a good lead in, in, in Michigan, but if it's an open kind of polling versus closed polling, are they only polling Republicans? Well, good polling aims at reflecting... What the contest actually is, it's just really hard when you're on the line and I'm saying, yeah. hey, hey, Mr. Townsend, yeah. are you a registered, are you a Republican? You say, yeah. Are you going to vote? Yeah. So then they poll you, but you, maybe you, yeah, you're not you, registered. You're just you wanting know. to get them off the yeah. phone. So, um, hmm. so when you think about um, when you think about this going forward, it, if it gets to convention, everyone's going to basically have to vote as they as they pledged based on state by state, and then. If Trump comes under the amount needed, then we start pitching and, and everyone well, starts then, then speaking. Then there's another round. Then there's another round of voting, and, yeah. and, and, and you keep going until somebody gets 50. There's not this establishment thing that people talk about. Do they about. debate in between? Do the, del- do the candidates get up and debate and talk? 
Um, or is it all behind the scenes party yeah, people? Yeah, it, it's mostly it's it's behind the scenes. I mean, they they probably will have speakers to yeah. take up the, but it's not the same as a debate generally. Again, keeping in mind that the chair and the convention can change the rules if they if they want to. But most of what's going to happen is it's going to be a big Venn diagram sort of a, yeah, uh, yeah. an approach. You've got the Trump circle, you've got the Cruz circle, then you've got the not Cruz, not Trump circle, which is going to have you know a few hundred delegates. Um, the reason I think, and lots of people think, that Trump will be the likely, the emergent, not uh, Cruz will become the emergent, not Trump, is because a, a, a lot of his rhetoric, a lot of his appeal, does attract some of the same people right. that Trump attracts. Yeah, and that's pr- probably not true for Kasich, and uh, it's not true for Kasich and, and Ruby. Wouldn't it be a critical? I mean, because you have to win over the delegates, because if you win over the delegates, you you also would win over the voters, it seems like. Well, the delegates are very political people, and they want to win. And so sooner or later, pragmatism will come to bear. Now, it could happen that Cruz knocks Trump out altogether in in the remaining primaries, many of which are winner-take-all. And that could then he could go in with the lead, mm-hmm. uh, e- maybe not possibly getting the majority, but but the lead. So then everyone has to say, well, is it Trump Cruz? Is it Cruz Trump? Is it not Trump? Is it Cruz somebody? Hmm. And and so there's a there's a lot of jockeying behind the scenes there, yeah, uh, to try to appeal to the uh, to the delegates again, all of whom they're not. Even like you and me, these are highly political <laughs> the, yeah. political people, and they they want to win. Wow, what uh, is this an advantage? It seems like a disadvantage to the GOP to be going through this, as opposed to what the Democrats are seeing. Could be. I mean, the Democrats. <laughs> I mean, it's totally read, energized the Republicans. Yeah, I mean, there there are multiple stories around this. the The Republican turnout is vastly larger than it was in uh, 2012 or 2008, whereas the Democrat turnout is far less than it was in 2008. So the enthusiasm gap is huge. So that's a, that's a a pretty big factor. But yeah, somebody uh, uh, described the Democrat debate as, you know, sort of some kind of tea party, uh, not tea party, <laughs> just, but a, yeah, just a, a garden party, yeah, on, cocktail on, party. On, on PBS, mm-hmm. uh, you know, versus, you know. I and mean, they get into, they get in deep, they get in thick into the yeah, weeds yeah. of the policy. Right. And they're just two of them and they're fighting for the left edge of, of the, uh, of the party. Although, you know, Hillary now recognizing that she's certain to be the nominee is, Mm-hmm. verging back, you know, toward toward the uh, the middle, the middle meaning middle of the Democratic yeah. Party. But did you hear? Did you hear the whole Bernie Sanders thing about gun control? And she's like, "You're basically quoting the NRA policy." Right. I mean, it was the strangest move on the Democratic side because here, the the socialist progressive, but from Vermont. Which has the you know the least restrictive gun laws in the United He's States. He's fighting yeah. for some common sense around guns, and in a way, she was polling more to the left on that. Oh yeah, no, she's trying to search for things where she can be to the left of him. Yeah, that's clear. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so, what do you think going forward? What is what is what should we be looking out for this week, and then what's coming up? Uh, well, I think I, I agree with people that we've seen peak Trump. Yeah. So. Uh, 
Winston Churchill famously said uh, after one victory in Egypt, after a series of Dunkirks and losses and miserable situation in World War II, they had this one one victory in Egypt. He said, well, it's not the end, and it's not the beginning of the end, but it is the end of the beginning. <laughs> and I think we've seen the end of the beginning of the fall, yeah. of, the fall of Donald Trump. So looking forward, you have to see, is he outperforming the polls, A? And so far in the last two rounds, he's underperformed. And in the last round in particular, mm-hmm. he underperformed in terms of delegate count. You have to look at closed primaries versus open primaries. Uh, he will do a little better in the open primaries. Um, but the, the the critical thing is, is he getting at least 45 to 50 percent of the vote? So far, that's happened in exactly two states. Man. And, um, and, bo- and I think both of those were – well, one was Massachusetts where there are, aren't very many Republicans to start with. Yeah. And I think the Louisiana was open. So um, – yeah, go, going forward, oh, the, and the big thing to look forward to is the consolidation of what people are calling Cruzio. Is it going to be Cruzio, or is Cruz strong enough to carry that it? He doesn't need Rubio at all. Interesting. And, and so, yeah. if if Rubio does not have a very good showing next Tuesday, and well, you've got you've got uh, tomorrow, and then you've got next to the fifteenth is the is the bigger one. But if some if he just Looks like if he keeps being third and fourth. Well, what what it looks like to me is it looks like you had you know a bunch of uh, army, a bunch of soldiers standing around, and somebody throws a live grenade in there, yeah. and Rubio took one for the team. He jumped on the the live grenade. He may have blown himself up. Yeah, at, at the he last may, it may be terminal. Yeah. Huh. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And then it, we'll see how that happens. But if if Rubio continues to fall. Cruz continues to strengthen. You get a two two man race on the Republican side, and you, you get a consolidation. May well be that Cruz walks into the hmm. uh, convention with the most delegates. Can Cruz beat Clinton? Well, I won't quote him because a lot of people know it. But uh, but what I'm but the sentiment is the the sense of many real Washington insiders is. If there was ever a time for the Republican Party to nominate an unlikable candidate, it's probably this time because you'll have the the clash of two unlikables That's in, true. In, in in November. Neither Hillary nor Cruz are particularly likable candidates. Yeah. Uh, so it'll it'll be a, <laughs> a, a, a raw slugfest. This is the strangest election season ever. Right. No. Uh, yeah, so it'll just it'll just get down to that enthusiasm gap would make could make a very big difference. Although mm-hmm. there's increasing enthusiasm on the Democrat side because the single most important consequence of this election for both sides philosophically is one person who's going to be named to the United States Supreme, Supreme Court. Court, and that's energizing on both sides. Yeah. It's very energizing on the. Uh, Democrat side, too. Uh, so. Joe, we, we'll have to have you back again. Just We will always. But to talk about the Supreme Court potential no, nominees, yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole other story. Joe Cannon, thank you so much. CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out the website, fuelfreedom.org. Find out uh, the great work that they're doing to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's so interesting. Um, these are people, right? And and interestingly, you it's such a diverse. It's a race. It's a racehorse. It's a there's such a diverse group of horses in this in this game that um, who, who's ever going to win? I have no idea. And then other issues that are still you know pending. Hillary Clinton's. Uh, you know, investigation that's still hanging out there. That's got to be making a lot of people worried. It's some nervous. It's got to be uh, also impacting just the voter. Who do we trust? Uh, Ted Cruz could potentially take a lead here, but a lot of people don't necessarily like him. Hillary Clinton don't necessarily trust her. Uh, Donald Trump nobody seems to feel like he's uh, he's going to elevate the conversation much, but he's a fighter. What are we doing? Folks, this is your America. This is your this is your president. So ah, we gotta we gotta get our game on. And again, pick your candidate and, and be strong, but demand them to be their best. Don't demand them to just get in and get elected. We need to start holding our people accountable. We need to start having the highest level of values and and trust. Again, with the passing of Nancy Reagan, um she was a fighter. You can be tough, and you can still also be just decent, nice, and Reagan as well, Ronald Reagan. Everybody invokes Reagan. Let's now start invoking some of his principles and his and his spirit and his ability to collaborate and uh, to be more open-minded, even in your belief system. Anyway, boy crazy year we'll take a break folks that's the first hour of the matt townsend show we'll come back next hour we're going to be talking about energy with uh one of the top uh one of the top authors in the country tom rath will be joining us stick with us this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back this is the matt townsend show your guide on the side follow dr matt on twitter at dr matt show call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU this is the matt townsend show dr matt townsend now on byu radio byu radio good morning everybody welcome to the matt townsend show dr matt here your coach your guide on the side you feel like you're running out of energy you feel like every day when you go to work Ugh. You're just exhausted. You're spent. You have to chug an energy drink just to get through the day. Because if so, we've got a great guest coming up for you. Tom Rath will be joining us. He's a researcher, author, filmmaker who studies the role of human behavior in business and health and well-being. He's one of my favorite authors. He's going to be talking to us about three keys to energizing your work life. Three keys to getting energy other than just, you know, chugging an energy drink. There's other ways to get it, and um, I think they're pretty interesting. It's, it's more about your, you know, in your head, your meaning in life, your, where, you're, where you really derive your passion from. So he'll be joining us in just a few moments to, uh, to talk about energy. Um, we we got to also recognize today is March 7th, Cereal Day. Happy Cereal Day. Thank you, children. The most popular breakfast food in America. Up until the 1860s, most people ate eggs, bacon, and sausage. So that's why I'm an old-fashioned guy. I just like me some <laughs> eggs, bacon, and sausage. But now, uh, you know, cereals, it's, uh, it's taken off. So today, you know, grab a bowl of cereal. You, you, you got to love that. 
Hey, apparently, this may blow your mind, but uh, Wedded Bliss comes with a price tag of more than $382,000, according to research. So that, does that mean you can buy love? Apparently. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's expensive. You got It's, you know, $383,000. Coupon website Quidco surveyed 2,000 married couples of all ages and examined the cost of a lifetime of wedded bliss, including wedding, mini breaks, gifts, date nights, it concluded those in happy marriages spend an average of $30,000, $30,450 laying the initial foundation of the marriage, including their dream wedding, rings, honeymoons, with more than a half at 52%, stating that they believed a dream wedding would set them up for a happy marriage. I mean, we've had other experts on the show that says spending a lot on your wedding is has an inverse relation to happiness, but... According to Quidco, it's uh, $382,000 you are going to have to spend over a lifetime. Some of that will just be, you know, trips, movie, you know, date nights. The average date night might be $55 per night, totaling some $167 per month, or $2,000 roughly per year just for your date nights. That's a lot of That's a lot of love. Some of you can't afford that, so you just stay home. Yeah, apparently. You're not putting in enough money into our economy to, to make this work. Romantic nights out, you know, you could you could just you could just have a, a quick date night, which would be like you know a little Netflix takeout. That's twenty two dollars. It's not really romantic. No, the romantic ones cost you more. I don't know if I've done anything romantic. No, your wife called. She said you haven't. Okay, just to confirm. Yeah, she wants you to. Step up. Step up. Do something romantic. See, I don't know what to do, though, because everything I think about just ends up being kind of corny. No. You know what you need to do? You need to go watch some some movies. Mm, no. Uh, like When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle. She has that. She loves that. I hate that movie. Yeah, she goes, let's watch it. Uh, no, we're I mean, not watching that. Well, so one of the ways to be romantic would be to just watch that movie. I know, but... Then, then it's hard to sit there quietly. Swallow your pride, Terry. I know. It's hard to sit quietly and not comment. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> but, or You've Got Mail, which is the same yeah. movie. But then you let them, you let you let Meg Ryan bring the romance, you know, you let the movie do the talking. But when I pass out. No. Yeah, that's true. I, I, it just, it doesn't really convey the message I was hoping. Yeah. Or it does. I don't well, know. I mean, I mean, just so you know, I mean, some couples can't be saved. <laughs> Not to be rude, but some just aren't meant to be. So it's it's about if you want romance, it's about two thousand per year. If you want just kind of some dates, eight hundred bucks per year. Hey, there we go. If or you, eight dollars a month with Netflix. Could yeah. be. Or if you want, you know, holidays, you know, two or three mini breaks, some some vacations, that costs about thirty three hundred per year. Whoa. So to really be into your spouse, it's oh. about. You know, it's about 5000 a year. See, it's hard for me to, to track since I just say, well, here's my paycheck. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks well, for not she, changing sure, the locks. I'm yes. sure she appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for staying married to me. It's hard, to, it's hard to stay in love, right? It's a hard thing. That's why the Reagans were so powerful. I mean, it was a second marriage, I believe. But it was powerful. They'd write love notes to each other. 
They said that they could just stand and look in each other's eyes. I mean, I, when I was the last time I, you just I, stood I, there? I text my wife every once in a while. Yeah, it's different. It's just different. When was the last time you stood there and just looked into your wife's well, eyes? When I do that, she goes, what's wrong? It's like, why are you looking at me? Is there something on my face? What's happening? You're creepy. Knock it off. Yeah. And so, you know, the, even the, the attempts at being romantic get rebuffed because she right. just doesn't believe that I'm trying to do that. Yeah. She thinks there's always an ulterior motive. I like it when we fight over what's romantic. <laughs> and then right there, you've already lost it. If you're already fighting about what is romantic, it's over. You missed the boat. What do you argue that's romantic? Cheetos. Mmm. Cheetos. It's good. It's good. Like we could throw them at each other and try to catch them. Okay. Seems romantic. I mean, you're engaged. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. Cheetos. Cheetos. It's orange. It's like a fruit, but not. Like, I, you know, they always, in the movies, it's always like your grapes or strawberries. Mm. Like chocolate-covered strawberries. Who I would do that. I'd eat those, too, but they're hard to throw at each other. You know? Yeah. If you could get the, hit the, the candy, face, The candy-coated shell could yeah. be kind of problematic. <laughs> You'd break a tooth. I feel like there'd be too much air resistance with the Cheeto, though, that because they're cheap. so... So light, they are. No, they are. And you got to. We turn our air off. We turn the air conditioning off when we play. But super fun. <laughs> we got down on the cross breeze. <laughs> <laughs> no crosswinds in here. Come on. It's it's also weird because when you have a child, that kind of ruins romance anyway. Because every now there's people watching every second. Now they want Cheetos. Yeah. So the minute you start playing the Cheeto game, they're like me 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 me. You're like whatever. If I brought home, you know, strawberries, chocolate-covered strawberries, they'd be gone. My kids would be like, you never bring home chocolate-covered strawberries anymore. Yeah, because you eat them all. One thing you do that's fun, though, you kiss your wife in front of the kids. That kind of grosses them out, doesn't it? so cool. (laughs) It also clears the room. Get out. Like, if you (laughs) hug and kiss for a long time, they're gone. Mm. You know, just little tricks. From a 25-year marriage. <laughs> Did you hear about the space station? They, ha- you know, they they have garbage. Oh, they they had a capsule loaded with 1.5 tons of trash. You'd think that they would just send it back down to Earth, so we could properly dispose of it. But they have a better system. They have a better system. They just, I guess, shoot it out. Like, I guess they send it back into the atmosphere, and it burns up. Yeah. On reentry, it just turns into ash and it's gone. Yeah, or does it? It does. Or does you know? All of a sudden, you've got like what country did they say they dropped it out? Bolivia. Over? Yeah, so it's over Bolivia. I mean, honestly, it's hey, like where do we hit America? Wanna, where do we want to burn the trash this time? Let's burn it over Bolivia. But if you burn it up in the atmosphere, what's left? Well, a lot. Not really. Let's just say somebody's old tennis shoe. Hmm. Falls from the sky. Space tennis shoe. Space tennis shoe. And everyone's like, whoa, space tennis shoe. Well, it doesn't make it to the you, ground. You think. No, it doesn't. Nothing. That, that's why they do it this way, because nothing makes it through the atmosphere. Right. It just burns up. Which is why we should take most of our trash and just start launching rockets to the sun. Yeah. Just get rid of our trash that way. We keep trying to dig bigger holes and bury right. things and just pack them full in SpaceX. Yeah. That SpaceX should be the next step yeah. in garbage Like the removal. disposal removal. But yeah. how much does it cost to get it into space? Billions. 
billions. But come on, it's garbage. How much are we spending as an as a society to try to hide all of our garbage? So in order to save Mother Earth, let me get this straight. In yes. order to save Mother Earth, let's destroy the sun. Wait, 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 It'll burn up. It'll burn it up. It'll burn up before it gets there. Again, famous last words. No. Yeah. This is a brilliant idea. We just need someone to fund it. And anyways, the sun won't be dead until we're all right. gone. So it really wouldn't even be our problem. Yeah. yeah. Or one of those planets no one's using, like Mars or... Oh, I'm sure Mars would appreciate that. Something like that. Just Matt Damon would be ticked off. And the people are like, oh, it takes so many years to get there. It's okay. We're never going to get there. Just launch stuff at the other planets. that They're dead. It seems like you wouldn't. You could just launch it into outer space, deep space. Well, it could run into a, some intelligent species that yeah. has their planet, and then and they come back and get mad. Check them off. Yeah, they go. Why don't you recycle? That's why I always shred my garbage in case we do send it to outer space. I don't want them coming back looking for me. They can't track back to you, Mr. Townsend. We found your you water bill. You may have won ten million dollars. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the world we need to worry about? There's things. President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama released a statement Sunday morning former First Lady Nancy Reagan. Earlier, Reagan spokesman confirmed Reagan had died at age 94 of heart failure. Nancy Reagan once wrote that nothing could prepare you for living in the White House. The statement read, she was right, of course, but we had a head start because we were fortunate to benefit from her proud example and her warm and generous advice from that from the First Lady and President Obama. Former Presidents Jimmy Carter and George W. Bush and a host of other political figures also released statements Sunday morning in response to uh, the news of the death of Nancy Reagan. Sunday night, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders took part in another debate which covered topics like gun control, the auto bailout, foreign trade, and climate change. Hillary Clinton had this to say when the topic turned to Donald Trump. I am building a broad, diverse coalition across our country. I am very excited by the support we're receiving. I think that Donald Trump's bigotry, his uh, bullying, his bluster um, are not going to wear well on the American people. And so I will look forward to engaging him. A Democratic town hall is tonight. It's on Fox News, mm. which is a little odd since... Yeah, they, they used to... You know, they had banned Fox News. So uh, Hillary Clinton will be on Fox News for the first time in two years. So that could be an interesting five minutes to start the debate then it, or the town hall, since this is the format where each candidate comes out by themselves, right? talks for 30 minutes or so. and uh, Those are my favorite. You get to, well, you said before that you really get to find out more about the candidate yeah. without someone trying to interrupt them or they're trying to position themselves for the next question and... They're kind of uh, disarmed a little bit. I like it. John Kasich is the real action hero and would be a better choice for the GOP nomination than Donald Trump. This according to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Trump's successor is the host of Celebrity Apprentice. The former California governor who was in Columbus, Ohio, for the Arnold Classic Bodybuilding Competition endorsed the Ohio governor at a Sunday afternoon rally in the city. Kasich is currently training, trailing Trump by a few points in the Ohio polls and says he will probably drop out of the race if he doesn't carry his home state. But this is going to get crazy because now Trump's going to beat up the person filling in on his show. Allegedly. Well. As you're alleging. We'll but see. who would win in a fight? Oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold. Yeah. Bad to the bone. I got to kill you. In Manhattan, people accused of committing low-level crimes, including public consumption of alcohol, littering, public urination, or taking up two seats on the subway, will no longer face arrest. The change 
which takes effect today, means officers will distribute summonses instead of taking uh, offenders away in handcuffs. The law will not apply to those who are a public safety risk and remain arrestable offenses in the city's other boroughs. The city officials say the decision will mean 10,000 fewer cases a year, freeing up the city's officers and courts to investigate more serious offenses. Yeah. So what does that mean? Handing out summonses? Does that mean people just... Who cares? We don't, we're not going to show up to court? Whatever. Yeah, the, make it like a parking ticket. You'll pay eventually. They'll track you down. They'll just hit, they'll hire yeah. more people to track Someday down people with summonses. Someday they'll just put a boot on you. Florida native Chris Lacun was out enjoying a day on the boat with his family and a best friend July 12th of 2015 when the two decided to anchor to a buoy and scuba dive down to a mysterious structure faintly visible below the water. Mm. Lacun swam up to one that he likened to a building and felt a sudden strong current. He got sucked in like a wet noodle. He just went poof and he was gone, his diving partner said. Lacun uh, said his surroundings instantly dissolved into complete darkness as he struggled to hold onto his mask and regulator while he spent roughly five minutes being sucked through a quarter-mile-long, 16-foot-wide intake pipe that pulls in 500,000 gallons of water a minute to cool the St. Lucie uh, nuclear power plant oh, reactors. Oh, wow. Lacoon survived without intervention, having been spat out into the plant's cooling pond. Lacoon tells CNN there were no warning signs, is now filing a lawsuit against the Florida Power and Light, which issued a statement saying the intake pipe had a protective covering that Lacoon intentionally swam into. Wow. So they're saying he swam into the intake pipe for this power plant. That is scary. And he's saying he was just sucked in. But he said right there he was looking at this underwater structure. It looked like a building under the water. What is this? And you what go down and it sucks this? you right in. quarter mile later, you pop out. But what if it had some sort of fan or something? Can to... you imagine what his friends were thinking? <laughs> he's gone. What happened? You know. And he's like miles away. That's like, a, that's like a Mission Impossible scene right there. It was in the last movie, I believe. Huh. They broke into a power plant that way, but uh, they had to turn off the fans so they didn't die. Yeah, there were no fans here. I apparently. didn't even that. You, he had a tank the on the turbines. That? Excuse me. Yes, that took like five minutes. How many minutes? That's it said, uh, yeah, five minutes, quarter mile through a sixteen foot wide intake pipe. Well, you would be freaking out. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> Wonder. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So lucky to be alive. Lucky. See, this is why I don't do adventures. Don't don't, don't like go uh, scuba diving. Near power plants. Near power plants. There you go. Oh, boy. Interesting stuff. Hey, folks, we're going to take a break, come back, and be talking with Tom Rath, uh, the author of six influential bestsellers out there. And he's going to be talking to us about uh, his latest and greatest, Are You Fully Charged? The Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Life. Tom Rath will be with us. Um, by the way, it's a part of a new series, a number one New York Times bestselling author. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting, interesting uh, topic coming up. Do you feel generally exhausted at the end of the day? Frequently, many of us require a couple of energy drinks to get through the day. But what if you could energize your day without chugging a monster or a three-hour energy drink? Our guest today may have found just such a solution. Tom Rath is the author of Are You Fully Charged? He is a, a New York Times number one bestseller, uh, best-selling author, um, and he, he's, he's also the author of some of my favorite books, Vital Friends, 
made a big difference in my life. Also, Strengths Finder and Strengths Based Leadership. You've heard me talk about that before on the show. And Tom's been on the show before, but uh, let's get to him. Tom, uh, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show again. Great talking to you again. Great having you. This is, to me, uh, an essential book, and I love the front of it because it looks like you know, the, those charging cells that we see on every one of our devices, if we're fully charged or not. But when it comes to being a human being, being charged is and energized, it's, it's a hard thing to do today. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, as you, as you were talking about, and I was just thinking about it, we spend a lot more time stressing out about and worrying about charging our darn devices than we do uh, thinking about how do we make sure that we're charged as workers and parents and spouses on a regular basis. Right. And and it's not, I mean, we. it's almost like chemically, we're looking just for a chemical charge. But what seems so interesting about your approach in this book is it's there's more to get charged about than just having more chemicals in your system. Yeah, you know, when I when we were looking at what does it really take for someone to be fully charged on a daily basis, that we, we weren't trying to answer the question of what are all the things that are important in life to have a really meaningful life over decades. We're essentially going through a lot of research trying to determine what are the things that people need to remember to do on a daily, hourly basis in order to finish a day and feel like you really had at least half the energy you possibly could. On average, when we started, we learned that just 11% of people said they had a great deal of energy throughout the day yesterday when they thought about the day in totality. So we've got a long ways to go there in terms of how much uh, how much more energy and meaning and stronger relationships we could create on a daily basis. That is sad. I mean, what are the rest of us doing? I, get, I mean, if, if 11% felt like they had a, a good, healthy dose of energy, I, I'm, I can only imagine what percentage felt like they had no energy. Right. Is, yeah, t- it's, it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, tell us, what, is, what, are, what are you finding is the key? What's the key to getting and keeping energy? The key is really to think about and structure your day so that it guides you in the right direction and kind of nudges you in various places uh, so that you're making small decisions in the moment throughout the day that also happen to be aligned with all those long-term interests. You know, the book I worked on before this was called uh, Eat, Move, Sleep, and I learned a lot going deep on those topics around physical health from uh, behavioral scientists who's an expert on the topic of how our decisions and choices affect what we eat, uh, Brian Wansink. And, you know, he's done all those great studies that a lot of your listeners have probably heard of where if you have a clear bowl on the table with fruit, you eat a lot more of that than if you have a bowl sitting out with uh, candy or chips or unhealthy snacks there. And uh, He was a part of a documentary that we just finished around this most recent book, Fully Charged, and he talks about the way in his own home with it, for himself and his uh, wife and children, he has the uh, potato chips or the tortilla chips up in the laundry room in a cabinet that far away, mm-hmm. so it's not the first thing you see when you're in the kitchen or an area yeah. where you normally eat. And beyond the area of just food and eating, what I've learned through all my own research is that we can structure our days so we have more frequent interactions with the people who give us a boost throughout the day. We can uh, structure the things we do at work so that we see the meaning our work is creating for other people, and we can structure our routine so that we're active while we're working throughout the day instead of 
sitting dormant in a chair for eight hours on a typical workday. So there are all these little things we can do structurally, small adjustments that are also aligned with the long-term goals that we all know we should be thinking about but are not taking time to do. Yeah. Is it uh, – you break it down into – the book down into three, I guess, kind of areas, meaning, interaction, and energy. Talk to us um, Talk to us a little bit about that, those. What – I mean, it seems like, first of all, just having a job that you can go to every day that has some meaning for you is 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 something that – that anybody could do, and even if you already have the job and there's not so much meaning in it for you, can't we create meaning? We can. You know, sometimes you hear a word like meaning or mission or purpose, and they sound like these much higher level needs that might descend from above on a really sunny day. But when scientists go in and study how meaning is actually created in jobs by asking, they ask that, uh, Teresa Amababla, excuse me, at Harvard and her uh, colleagues asked 10,000 workers to write journals about their days across a variety of professions. Went back and studied all these journals, entries of what led to well-being, what led to satisfaction in people's jobs, and they found that the number one thing that created uh, good jobs for people, that where people enjoyed what they were doing, is they found small ways to connect the meaning of the work they were doing on a daily basis. And so when you look at uh, food service workers, for example, when they can see the people they're cooking food for, they do better work, they make higher quality food, they even make more nutritious food when you can see your customer. Mm -hmm. Um, And same thing applies in a very different job where it struck me they were looking at a group of radiologists, and I would have thought, well, if you're a radiologist, you're doing meaningful work, you're trying to save people with cancer or heart disease on a daily basis. Right. right? When you when they looked at these radiologists and they had one group of radiologists just keep doing their normal work for several days, a second experimental group went through and they had a photo of a patient appended to the record. So instead of just seeing an anonymous patient number and name, you could see a picture that's the face of the person. They wrote 23% longer reports based on the scans they were looking at and it increased their diagnostic accuracy by 46%. Hmm. So even if you're doing meaningful work, you've got to find ways to step back and connect how your efforts today serve another human being at a very basic level. Yeah, and and that takes, I mean, that takes intentionality. You got to you got to make that happen, don't you? You got to make that happen, and then if you can help another person to do that, sometimes it's easier to do that on behalf of someone you care about, a friend or a colleague, uh, than it is to do it for yourself on a regular basis. That is so true. In your book, too, you talk about small wins are a great way to create and, and, and connect some meaning. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, it's really the – we have these kind of myths of these grand big projects and efforts that you put a lot of time into. But we have – there's a fundamental human need for progress and to see that you did something that made a difference. You didn't just get to inbox zero. You – had one conversation, even if you're working in a call center, for example, and someone calls in and they're irate and so frustrated they never want to do business with your organization again. And if you just get that person back to neutral, that may be a bigger win than you can imagine in terms of how that's minimized stress and hostility in that person's subsequent interactions as they move forward throughout their day. And so acknowledging those little things 
can be very powerful throughout the day. And I guess that's why you organize this, like you kept talking about our day, our daily, our daily structure. If I'm doing a bunch of things that don't necessarily seem like wins to me, or if I'm not connecting them to meaning, then I'm spending my day doing things that don't reinvigorate me. Right, and that's, it is important. That's, I think it's a great thought that you've got to find those little things where you notice that they do reinvigorate you throughout the day and make sure you find and build even more of those opportunities into the following day. The, the second real key that uh, we learned in the research that people need every day is we need a far more positive than negative interactions. And it sounds obvious on the surface, but there's a lot of science behind the fact that one negative interaction essentially counterbalances three, four, five positive interactions. And so um, we need to figure out how even in just brief interactions with strangers, if you're ordering a cup of coffee or you bump into someone in a coffee shop, how do you keep more and more of those interactions, at least 80% of them, have a little bit more of a positive bent than a negative bent? Wow. And uh, I'd never thought of that because I, in my when I'm off the air, eventually I, I go see clients and talk to clients, and a lot of the clients are having negative interactions. So if I don't compensate by making sure a lot of my other interactions are highly positive, I, that could be one of the sources of energy drain. Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things that I've realized, uh, the, first, the first book that I worked on was uh, called How Full Is Your Bucket? And it was all about this uh, simple theory I learned from my grandfather about you know, every little interaction, you make a choice that either uh, essentially picks someone up a bit or it takes something from their bucket that day. And it, it, the the thing that I think we're all um, kind of just blessed with in terms of having the opportunity and the choice is that we can't control the random stranger we bump into who might be in a really bad mood today, but we get to choose our response. And mm. in that choice of a response, we can either do something that, um, makes things a lot worse for that person and for ourselves, or we can choose to try and turn that around. And at a minimum, that protects us and it protects our friends and family members. We'll see for the rest of the day, and it might even help that other person a bit. Wow, it. Uh, I agree. Totally. And, and and the choice constantly, always, I guess, is ours. We can't, like you say, you, you can't determine everybody's mood, but I can I can turn mine around, and I can even turn around how I see it, how I interpret it. Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, six-time bestseller. Tom Raff is his name. If you've ever heard of these books, the book we're talking about today, Are You Fully Charged? Eat, Move, Sleep from 2015 was huge. Strengths Finder, Strengths-Based Leadership, How Full Is Your Bucket, Well-Being, Vital Friends, some great books, deeply and I think incredibly researched, well-researched um, the latest research with uh, great psychology, folks. It's it's a perfect combination. Stick with us. We'll continue with our author, Tom Rath, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Tom Rath is on the phone with us. Um, he is the author of the latest, his latest book, Are You Fully Charged? The Three Keys to Energizing Your Work and Your Life. He's been talking about uh, the need for, you truly need some form of you know, interaction. You need, when it comes right down to it, you need the energy to do it. 
and you need some connection to 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 mission, to purpose, um, meaning in life. And uh, that's all found in his book, Are You Fully Charged? Tom, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. It's been fun talking to you. Good having you again. Uh, talk to us about um, this idea of finding a, a higher calling. I mean, it seems like in our market economy, everyone's looking for a, a job that brings in the cash. But what does the research say about having a higher calling than just cash? Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating to me how the, money obviously matters, and it matters a lot in terms of meeting our basic needs of food and shelter and sustenance, being able to provide for our family. So money matters, but yet we often make decisions about our job and career and what we do for our families that act as if or treat money like it's the only outcome or the only dependent variable. And all of the research that I've looked at on daily well-being, on well-being over a lifetime, makes it pretty clear that money is one of four or five important things in our lives. And things like our social relationships and the meaning we're contributing to the world and our physical health, those actually matter, may matter more than the financial part of the mm. equation. And the, a lot of really good work uh, coming out over the last decade from Gallup and other places makes it pretty clear that most of the stress and negative emotions uh, provided by money are alleviated once you reach a level somewhere between forty and $75,000 of household income in the United States in particular. And after that point, we may imagine that every doubling in uh, income doubles our happiness, but it really only improves our happiness by uh, around 8% roughly from some of that wow. work with each doubling of income. But yet we put so much priority on that, and it, it, it's probably a lot more important that we have that attachment of mission and purpose and meaning to our work and continue to strive for that over time once we've reached a basic level of financial substance. You know, there's a, a researcher at uh, Yale, Amy Brzezinski, who she's, she talks about and has studied how we essentially can progress from a job that's just not that much more than a paycheck to a career and then to having a true calling in life, which is where you're doing something that you feel is kind of the embodiment of your life's work and you know it's making a real difference to society. And I think we always, we're all going to find ourselves at various points on that continuum over a lifetime where sometimes you do just need a job because it's hard to get a job. Right. And you can find, you can, once you have that job, you can continue to peck away at something that turns into more of a career and eventually a calling over time. It, uh, it, it seems like in a lot of your work, Tom, people matter. Um, and like you brought up earlier, the interactions that we have with people are one of these keys that could bring us energy. I guess they, they can also, it might be an also sometimes a source of the lack of energy. Give us some of your, um, just some strategies we can have to, to make better you know, use of our interactions or to better connect into these relationships and these people in our lives. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question because it may be focusing on the importance of building and growing our best relationships may be the thing that we underestimate most in our lives. I uh, my late graduate advisor, Christopher Peterson, he started off the first day of my uh, master's program with a slide in PowerPoint, and he said, 
I'm going to give you the whole degree in one slide, and it's other people matter. <laughs> um, and it, it still just rings so true for me on a daily basis where there, there's nothing that matters more than the people around us for our overall well-being, but yet we so often don't take the time to step back and nurture and develop those relationships. And as you said, it's also important to acknowledge if there are people that you interact with on a daily basis who constantly stress you out and are essentially giving you secondhand stress at work each day, how can you build your days to minimize that effect a little bit? I think uh, most of your listeners probably have someone that comes to mind when they hear the person that gives you secondhand stress. <laughs> you know, I've been conscious of how do I minimize the secondhand stress that I'm exuding and radiating to other people. I know there are times when I'm in a rush throughout the day just trying to get a lot done, and when people come into contact with me, I'm probably in in a mode that rubs off as stress for other people. So how do you make sure that you're not radiating that energy throughout the day as well? And then just, to, I mean, in this day and age, to take the time to have a conversation where you're genuinely listening to someone you care about with your smartphone not even visible or anywhere in sight is another very important thing to do. I, I was struck by some of the research as I was working on this latest book about how if I take my phone out and place it on a table, even if it's powered off, it's not ringing or dinging or buzzing or anything else, that sends an implicit message to everyone around the room that that phone comes before them and it degrades the quality of the conversation wow. for everyone in the room. Yeah, no, it's true. You've been in a meeting where they do that, right? Where they, it, you know, if that phone rings, I, I've been in a divorce mediation and somebody takes a call and you're thinking, are you kidding? This is the most important meeting you're going to have that will impact the rest of your future, and you're going to just go negotiate your cleaning at your house. Right, and that's we've got to stop and think about what what really deserves to break into an important conversation in life and what doesn't, and then how do you minimize all those other distractions, whether it's through do not disturb or turning a ringer mm -hmm. off. Or I've been so conscious with uh, my kids are uh, five and seven now, and to make sure that I just have the phone completely stowed away when I'm spending good time with them as much as possible. It, it is psychological. I've seen somebody just literally on their phone, you could see their pecking order of where you fit in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Some Certain people they won't go to. Other people they'll immediately choose over you. Um, so putting the technology away, and I love the idea, too, of making sure that we don't radiate this stress. Um, anything else that when it comes to... I mean, if I, I remember our last interview was on Eat, Move, Sleep, which is such a great resource. If you just are low in energy, Eat, Move, Sleep, go get that book because that's it's a definite source. What else do we need to know before we let you go about um, being charged and fully charged? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the energy piece because it, what I've learned on how do we make sure that we're better listeners and spouses and parents on a daily basis – a lot of it does come back to those micro choices where um, I, I realized this as I was working on that book, Eat, Move, Sleep, about the physical energy part where um, I, I went out to lunch on a real nice day, uh, kind of like today, sunny, and a nice day to be out hiking around with my kids. We went out to brunch, and I had a, a really unhealthy lunch. I, I, I didn't, I'm not that good at resisting temptation and got a big... Uh, eggs benedict comes covered in hollandaise sauce and mm. fried potatoes it comes out with biscuits and gravy i just eat everything on the table and it, normally i think okay you indulge once in a while it's not a big deal but 
that day I connected the fact that I was half asleep on the couch and my daughter was asking me to go play at the park and I didn't have the energy to be a good dad because of the little choice that I made at brunch that day. And we see that play out countless times. There, there are hundreds of small choices we make, not only about what we eat, but whether we go for a brief walk at lunch, whether we initiate a conversation with someone and ask them a question and then genuinely listen while they uh, walk by us in the hallway at work one day. And it, it's in those choices that shape our daily well-being. And what I've learned from this recent research is that, to a large degree, our lives are the accumulation of those little choices that not only affect us, but then continue to have an important influence once we're gone, ideally. Oh, so true. And and the micro, the, 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 the day is made up of, I guess, dozens and dozens of these micro choices, but they could they really set the table for the rest of the day. And they the do, rest of the relationships. The rest of the relationship, and then if you if you make the right choices and you get a little activity and you have some good conversations and you do a little meaningful work, it's a lot easier to get a good night's sleep that night, and it starts an upward spiral where you have progressively better days. Mm. As we wrap it up, Tom, what what would you say uh, is is the number one thing we all just need to remember? Hands down, this one idea pays huge dividends in our energy and feeling fully charged in life. What's something we can all walk away with today? You know, I think the thing that has probably changed my uh, energy levels and productivity most in, in recent years has been to try and find ways to have these meaningful conversations and to do work while I'm moving around. And it, it may sound simple, but we've spent a century architecting our lives based around the principle that we should sit down all day after laying down all night. And... The more you're active throughout the day, whether you're – I'm just kind of pacing around on a, on a headset as we talk right now, for example, instead of sitting in a chair, because I think better when I'm moving around. And mm. I have more enlightening conversations with my wife and kids and friends when we go out for a walk and talk. And so I'd, I'd encourage people just to minimize the amount of time they spend sitting starting today. Try and add as many little steps. Don't worry about exercising. Just add as many steps into your life and – you'll see that you have more and more energy as you continue to do that. Yeah. Tom Rath, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. You got another book in the works, though? Not right now. We're just have a documentary around this fully charged with a lot of these experts whose research I've talked about that's coming out this month. And um, so we've been pretty focused yeah. on that right now. Okay. Well, we'll be looking for that. And uh, everybody, go to TomRath.org. Great website, his blog, his books, everything you need there, and the information on the documentary is there. Tom Rath, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Great stuff, folks. Great source uh, and resource for all of us. Um, great, great information. Necessary to, to get your life back. We'll take a break, come back, uh, continue this discussion. You know, taking your life back, making better choices in the moment. That's up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I wanted to take this uh, moment to do a little Coach's Corner and talk about, um, okay, politics. We talk about it all the time. We spent the whole first hour of the show, if you missed it, reviewing uh, the Super Saturday and, you know, all the latest and greatest. But one of the things that I run into, because I have six children, 
and I'm trying to raise them in a healthy world, right? But my kids are all uh, from ten years of 10 years of age up to 22. And th- they're getting into this political race. Every one of them. Uh, the other night we were watching one of the debates and every one of my kids from 10 up had questions about what's going on. They, they asked things like, why is Donald such a such a bully? You know. Is Hillary Clinton going to jail because of her emails? I ask them, where do you guys get these ideas? And they say they're talking about it in school. So they're bringing up the debates in their school. And it dawned on me that um, I probably need to be teaching my kids more about politics and about how this process works. So I put together some points about how to raise positive people instead of powerful politicians. I also realized that uh, there's probably no more political environment that exists than in the halls of a junior high school. Where it's, you know, the jocks versus the geeks versus the whatever, surfers, whatever you've got. The, the, the borders, whatever you call them. The skaters. It's political. It's a crazy political world. And so here are three very basic lessons um, uh, that I try to teach my kids from what we're seeing in a debate, for example, and real life situations that they can go use in their own world. Number one, actions speak louder than words. Right? Let our actions do the talking, not our words. You'll notice some politicians can get up there and just talk about their, their results. Um, because they they have results, or any of the candidates do. They talk about what they've done in their life that shows that they're a trustworthy candidate. Uh, some people, though, also try to use their words to cover up their past. Gandhi had a great quote that said, you can't talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. So if if you've had bad behavior in the past, try to talk all you want about it. It doesn't go away by you talking. It goes away by getting results. So positive people trust that their past is going to do the talking for them. They might need to you know, share their past, but they don't need to exaggerate. They don't need to name call. They don't need to make stuff up about others, which we see going on in this political debate. We, we, we don't have to be full of anger and name calling in order to get and be seen. We also, you'll notice when people are starting to up the rhetoric, when they're starting to become more aggressive, when they speak louder, when their speech is faster, they're probably trying to distract you. They're getting hijacked, I call it, and they're distracting you from the real issue. So notice it. And I talk to my kids about it. A, a, a leader does this. A leader speaks this way. A leader doesn't talk about other people. They talk about their results. They talk about their goals. They don't have to tear down someone else's position. They can focus on their position instead of being calculated and, you know, name-calling. And we've talked about it on the show. In this last election, we've heard heard about people's hands, hair, spray tan, sweatiness, their tone, all of it. Another rule is value people more than popularity and power. If you want to be an influential leader, then value people. Don't just value being popular. A healthy, positive person sees the inherent worth of everybody. They don't just see people as a voting block. They don't don't even try to break people into their groups. They try to see that all people are whole. They all have physical, social, emotional, spiritual needs. 
Our politicians break us into social groups by color, by race, or by, by gender, by, um, by how much income we make. We, we aren't just a bunch of groups. I'm more than my ethnicity. I'm more than my religion. I'm more than my gender. I'm a whole person. So see people as a whole. And also don't see people as just a means to your end. How many times do you feel like these politicians are taking you for granted because you're a means to them getting elected? And I think some of the anger we see in the country is the mere fact that we we nominate you, we elect you, but we don't end up getting taken care of. I think that's why so many people are sick and tired of politics. People value the people. Value them for just being a fellow traveler on this earth, not somebody that's going to make you more popular. That, this goes on in high school, too. Whether you're a jock or a cheerleader or a skater or whatever, you've got to just learn to like people instead of using people to get what you want. Last rule I try to teach my kids is the confidence is going to always come from the inside out, not the outside in. That's exactly the opposite of what we see most of our politicians ex, you know, exhibiting. Their confidence comes from their last poll. How many times do the polls get brought up in this process? The person that is talking the most about the polls probably is the most insecure person. The poll is not the key, right? At some point, I need to get my confidence from the inside. Positive, healthy people get their confidence from knowing who they are, knowing what they believe in, having a belief system that they're living. Their confidence comes from being a good person who believes in certain principles and lives certain principles. And they'll stand by their principles even if they don't win the election even if they're not seen as popular. And that changes them on the inside. When we look at the politicians that are constantly shifting and changing, we worry about them. I also, by the way, worry about politicians that can't collaborate. You can still try to understand someone else's needs and live your principles and find some meeting place in the middle. Something I think our, our politicians are struggling with. This isn't about polls. This isn't about popularity. But I know it is for a 14-year-old kid that wants to be popular with his peer group and might end up doing stupid things in order to get elected or in order to be brought into that peer group. What I'm afraid of, though, is we're seeing the same thing in our political world. Very basic stuff, right? Confidence comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Value people more than popularity. And actions speak louder than words. Oh, if I can teach it to my uh, my 12-year-old, my 15-year-old, we could probably teach it to our politicians. Wouldn't that be great? That's the second hour of the show, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives Hopefully, you know, live stronger. A lot of times we have on social scientists that um, that bring us their latest research, their greatest research. Today we're going to be talking with uh, 
Dr. Michael Shermer about the idea of if, you know, social science, if they're politically biased. So a lot of the research we might be getting out of these universities, because everyone thinks they're these liberal institutions, maybe it just it's it just makes us all more biased, more or more, you know, more liberal. Right. They're corrupting us because these are the researchers. And it might just be something to keep in mind as you read. Yeah. Maybe there's an innate leaning of one direction. You can think, okay, well, maybe because they're thinking this way. But if you do that too much, then you paint everything right. with that, that sort of a, a lens, and that's not accurate either. Right. So it's kind of a – he's asking a question. I don't know if he gets to a solution. I think he asks a question, points out some evidence, and then just kind of a public uh, service announcement of this is a thing. Pay attention to this. Yeah. He's um, – He's he's had two TED Talks. It's hard to get one TED Talk, but he his are some of the most watched TED Talks. He's one of the top 100 uh, people viewed on the TED.com site. Be a TED Talker. He's a TED Talker. And he's going to be joining us in just a few minutes to talk about, you know, we, we probably need a little more political diversity in academia. Pick it up a little bit. How do you do that, though? Well, I mean, a conservative could research, too. Why do you think there's a heavily weighted one direction, possibly? Hippies. Is it hippies? It's the hippie generation. Oh, it's always hippies. Well, you would think a liberal thinker would, would hold less on to conservative historic traditions and be trying to innovate hmm. and pull to create change. So that's... Except, interestingly, you might realize that some of the research is actually validating that some historically conservative ideas actually work. Which is why so many people believe in them. Hmm. Who knows? We'll find out. He's the author of the book Skeptic, Dr. Michael Shermer. He'll be joining us. Um, We've got to get some other crazy news. Did you hear about this house that got stuck on the train tracks? That happens all the time. Really? Yeah, my house, a couple times a week. Do you live in a motorhome? No. British Columbia, Alberta, British Columbia. Traffic on highway in Canada was obstructed when a truck carrying a house got stuck on a set of train tracks. Oh, is this the train coming? Get that house off the track! <laughs> the truck was hauling the house along Highway 566 in Alberta at around 5 p.m. on Wednesday night before it suffered a flat tire while driving over the train tracks. Were they moving the house? Yeah, apparently. This is, you know, like when your computer was coming, you were always tracking where the computer was. Yes. You were like, where is it now? Where, where is, is it, it today? Now? Where is so it today? So now, if somebody's tracking their house, they're like, apparently it's on a, it's on some railroad tracks. <laughs> it's on a flatbed somewhere. That would Canada. be scary. A train driving through your house, ugh, you'd have to repaint. Mm. That'd be a mess. Well, it's already a mess. You had to undo it from the uh, foundation to pick it up, put yeah. it on a truck, and move it across town. I mean, are we moving a lot of houses? Are you now? are you attached to your house that much? No. That you want to... I don't like my house. Yeah. I don't know. There's some people that are really attached to their house, apparently, and they want to move it. Hmm. So they have these crazy... These companies that'll come in and figure out some huge project of how to move your house That's through just, town. It seems like a lot could go wrong right there. Yeah, just leave the house, go get another one. I mean, how much has a house, for heaven's sakes? 
But that's the thing. You could probably get a, an old home that they need to tear down. Just take it. It's just moving costs. You you may even own the house outright. Just move it. But if you move it, make sure that you have great tires on your truck. Work crews were able to move the truck from the track and replace its tires. But the house was not able to be moved until Thursday morning, so it stayed there about 24 hours. Huh. Oh, that's a long day. <laughs> Can you imagine the stress? Have they fixed the flat? No. No. Is our house going to be destroyed? Probably. Maybe. Crazy. You thought you had it bad. Um, in our bad boys section, um, you know, we're always trying to help the criminal element to be a better type of criminal. Sam- At least more thoughtful. Well, more thoughtful. A more mindful criminal. Sammy Luciano. Hmm. Martin County man arrested for the 34th time after driving a stolen car 110 miles an hour. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? According to the Martin County, Florida Sheriff's Office, a man was arrested over the weekend for the 34th time. On Sunday, Martin County deputies said they caught Sammy Luciano, 39, driving a vehicle that had been reported stolen. Just after 4 a.m., deputies spotted the vehicle with uh, Luciano driving recklessly at speeds of more than 110 miles an hour. Do you think it was like a Yugo? I don't think. No, I doubt that. Mm, I'm yeah. doubting it's. It wasn't. I, it's got to be a high performance type of car. You'd think. I don't know. I got a Ford Escort up to 110 months. No, you didn't. I did. I was going downhill, but well, I then, got it there. Were you falling off a cliff? No, it was rolling really fast. Hmm. 110. There was, a, there was a lot of shaking and turbulence. You could say up to about the 100 mile an hour mark. Yeah. But once I busted through that. Clear sailing. That's sad. All the vibrations just gone. I've gotten up to 110 in a Corvette with nitrous oxide. Is that what it's called? That nitrous yeah. gas. Boom. Amazing. It was in a Ford Escort. Yeah. My life was in danger. Well, I was just thinking. If, if you are a car us, built for speed. I was in a yeah. car built for groceries. Well, if, if you're going to die, you'd rather die in a vet than a... Oh, yeah. Did you read that story? Died in a Ford Escort. Come on. How did he die? What, did he hit a tree? No, actually, um, it just fell apart. <laughs> it fell apart. He just, he pretty much, the chassis <laughs> came apart. And uh, it was sad. What did he die from? Pretty much 500 pieces of the car hit him. Not a big deal. Yeah, so Sammy Luciano is in trouble. He's been arrested dozens of times in the past for crimes like robbery, reckless driving, drug possession. So 34 times, is that what he mm-hmm. said? Wow. It seems like... You might be a repeat offender? Yeah. Okay. But this is my advice to uh, Mr. Luciano. Slow down. If he would just slow down, they may not know. Yeah. They may that's not great know analysis. Thank you. Just go the speed limit, yeah. Just go the speed limit. I mean, even if you want, if like the speed limit's 50, you go 55. I wouldn't even push that. Yeah. If you just go 50, they're not going to bat an eye. If you go 45, they might be looking at you. Maybe, because you're a little too slow. But 110, you're going to draw some attention. You're standing out just a bit. You know? I mean, again, I'm not a professional criminal, but it just seems like. There's always really some things that stand out in these stories that if they just alter that yeah. one behavior, just they might one be behavior. okay. I mean, I'm not asking now, them to not continue robbing Because they didn't things. grab him for anything else but speeding. Right. But maybe he just has this... 
maybe he likes jail. And also, here's just some other advice. I wouldn't go out about 4 a.m. Time of day, yeah. You know? If, I mean, again, 4 a.m., anybody out at 4 a.m., they're going to notice. Well, I do. Yeah. Whether you're going 50 or not. But if you're going 110 at 4 a.m., yeah. Yeah. Short of the officer picking up something at McDonald's, this is going to... <laughs> it's going to end badly. It's going to end badly. And if you are going 110, make sure it's in a Corvette with nitrous, not a Ford Escort. Not a Ford Escort. Nothing against a Ford Nothing Escort. A Ford, not at all. Quality vehicle at great 50 vehicle. miles an hour. At 50, at 50, uh, at 50 down, yeah. it's a great vehicle. I'd even go to 70. 70 miles an hour, Ford Escort down, you're safe. Don't push the 80s or you're going to pay for it. Uh, that's the uh, that's my news. Anything going on around the rest of the world, Terry, we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. Most Americans aren't too excited about the prospect of a Trump versus Clinton race. Among likely voters, 52% say there, uh, such a pairing would have them picking the lesser of two evils. This is a new which, rest, which one would that poll. Be? I don't know. Depends on your... However you decide. How you, you know, serve up evil. Okay. Among independents, that figure spikes to 64%. For Democrats, however, the possibility of this race is generally good news. 53% of Democrats say they're excited at the idea of Trump versus Clinton, while only 42% view it as a lesser of two evils scenario. Exactly 52% of Republicans see that matchup as a choice between two evils, while 41% are excited about it. Hmm. So Democrats are like, yeah. Well, they say that, except they're not they're not that excited at the polls yet. Apparently not. But so that needs to pick up a yeah, little bit. It'll there. pick up. Jimmy Carter shared some good news with his congregation at Mariantha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia, on Sunday. He is stopping cancer treatments. Oh, good. As he no longer needs them. The 91-year-old former president announced last summer that he had a mass removed from his liver, which turned out to be cancerous. He was treated with. Uh, a new type of drug to go after that type of cancer. And in December, so the cancer disappeared from scans. On Sunday, he said a uh, MRI scan showed, I don't need any more treatment, so I'm not going to have any more treatments, Carter said. He will still be monitored by doctors, and if cancer shows up again, I'll start getting treatments again. Sweet. So it's not there. What's the point? Yeah. Why Why have treatments you don't need? When it comes back, we'll... Great job. That's good, good for him. So... Health returning. Yeah. Uh, police in Idaho have launched a manhunt for a 30-year-old man who was suspected of shooting and critically wounding a pastor just one day after he delivered a prayer at a campaign rally for Republican presidential candidate Senator Ted Cruz. Tim Remington, the senior pastor of the non-denominational Altar Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, was in critical condition late Sunday, hours after relatives said a gunman shot him four times in the back in the church parking lot. Mm. The alleged shooter, Kyle Odom, fled the scene in a silver car and remains at large and is considered armed and dangerous. Wow. Wow. That's scary. So we'll see what happens as they chase that guy down. Remember the Florida man who landed his gyrocopter on the lawn yes. of the U.S. Capitol. Uh-huh. The retired U.S. postal worker pulled the stunt to raise awareness about campaign finance reform. Now prosecutors are saying that he came dangerously close to hitting a Delta Airlines flight <laughs> as he flew into the as he flew to land next oh, to the state capitol. Man. The gyrocopter pilot Douglas Hughes will be sentenced next month, and prosecutors are now saying that he came within 1,400 yards of a Delta flight. 
1639, an Airbus jet that departed from Reagan National Airport was carrying 150 people at the time. Hughes denies that he was that close. 14 football fields may not seem that close, but prosecutors say that the aircraft must be separated by 3,000 yards. Regardless of the outcome, Douglas Hughes plans to challenge Democratic Representative Demin, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz for her 23rd uh, congressional seat in the hmm. Florida Senate. So he's going to run for office to, to try to you know bring his tax reform well, if he keeps, platform. But if he keeps flying this way, he's probably not going to be running. He's saying he wasn't within 30 miles of an airplane. He would know that? He was in a gyrocopter. And they carry like incredible sonar equipment. And if too. you look at some of the data that you can find through some of these flight record yeah. recording websites that are out there, uh, he might have a point. So it might be a government conspiracy. Could be. Try ooh, from Deborah Wasserman Schultz. Yes. Well, they're mad because he flew a gyrocopter right into the heart of Washington D.C. Yeah. And neener, and neener, neener. Nobody did anything until yeah. he landed. Now they said afterwards, like, "Oh, we saw him on the radar." I'm like, "Well, we were going to shoot him down. Do anything." You didn't know what it was until he landed because they said, "Oh, we knew it was a gyrocopter." And I go, "Nobody <laughs> knew it was a gyrocopter until they landed." Even yeah. the guys that ran up to the to arrest him were like, "What is this thing?" Hey, pal, you can't park that here. Oh, interesting, crazy world. Let's take a break, folks. Uh, when we come back, Dr. Michael Shermer will be with us. He is a TED Talk, um, uh, perfor- I guess, I don't know what we call him, speaker. He, but he also um, is th- the author of the book Skeptic, Viewing the World with a Rational Eye, and writes columns in Scientific American. Today he's going to be talking with us about social science. Is it politically biased? And uh, what's the impact of that bias on, the, on all of the social sciences that are coming out. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, 2015 was a dramatic year for free speech. Protests on college campuses and police shootings in major cities opened discussions all over the country about race, gender, microaggressions, cultural appropriation, and so forth. Political correctness is a hot-button issue now more than ever. But why all the unrest, especially in some of the nation's most liberal institutions? Dr. Michael Shermer is a writer, professor, and a thinker. He joins us now live from California. He's also the author of the book, um, by the way, that uh, is called Skeptic, Viewing the World with a Rational Eye, along with a dozen-plus other books, um, and we're honored to have him here. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. Good morning. You bet. Good morning. Good to have you. Talk talk to us about um, your how you got on this subject. I mean, the universities are fairly liberal. In fact, some of the latest research would show maybe more liberally biased. Um, but what got you talking and thinking about this subject? Uh, well, it's something that I've, I've been observing since, well, I was a college student and then a college professor. But the PC, uh, early PC movements back in the 1980s, 70s and 80s, really kind of died down and went quiet from in the 90s and the aughts. And it's just recently come surging back. And uh, so I decided to write about this in Scientific American. So I, I called that column Left Behind. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean that in two ways, sort of a reference to the, you know, the Christian book Left Behind, but, but left as in political left. And uh, 
the, the new research shows that the, the liberal plan, the, the anti-symmetry between right and left in the academy is uh, more extreme than it's ever been. Uh, you know, the national surveys show, depending on which department you're looking at, 10 to 1, 12 to 1, 16 to 1, 20 to 1, or, or worse, uh, Democrats uh, to Republicans. Uh, you know, the only, the only sort of bastion is in uh, Republicans is in uh, economics departments, and even there, they're still outnumbered by 2 or 3 to 1, but it's not as, you know, it's not like it's 20 to 1. And the humanities and social sciences... It's more like 15 to 20 to 1. And uh, so it's rare to even find somebody or find somebody who will at least admit that they're conservative. Well, you know, there's so much social pressure, I suspect people just want to keep their mouth shut. Why is that, though? I mean, it, it seems like you could still you can be a conservative thinker and yet still, you know, academically viable. Are they just not being hired? Uh, well, there's a... There's a dual process. I think less that they're not being hired and more that uh, there's a self-selection process that as the academy was moving more and more to the left, people that were not liberals were less likely to want to go into those professions. And then those that – a lot of the social science scientists, the reason they study social science is because they want to do something about social justice, you know, inequalities and prejudices things like that, social problems, fine. But the, but the question is, is, well, what are the solutions to these problems? And it, it's not clear that the left or the right has all the answers. So we really need a, a mix. But I think those that get into the academy in the first place, say people that are my age when they were in college in the 70s, self-selected to, uh, to, to go into, say, business or something like that if you were, or the law or medicine if you were, uh, conservative, and so we end up with this huge slant toward the left. Hmm. I mean, it's so bad that, you know, it's just a given that you will joke about Republicans and make fun of how stupid they are and so on, and you know you'll get a laugh. Everybody there will share your bias. Right. But, but of course, not everybody does. There's probably one or two people sitting there, grinning their teeth, keeping their clenched fist in their pocket, you know, and they don't want to say anything because... Um, you know, they're afraid of not, not re- repercussions so much. I mean, once you have tenure, you're safe, but more of just uh, bringing down a huge fish upon your head. And I, so the idea that college students are getting a, a fair and balanced education, they're not. It's not possible. We know the power of, of political bias of any kind. We, we know how that drives research, teaching, communications of all kinds. And uh, so it's not possible for college students to get uh, a fair fair view of what the world is really like. And so this is why I think a a lot of these kids are just shocked when they go out of the real world. They have no idea that half, over half of Americans are conservative. Over half the people they'll ever meet do not share their views, whereas in college, everybody they meet, they meet each other's views. Yeah. Is it, I guess in the end... um, so it does distort kind of the view for the college student. What does it do to the discussion and the dialogue of the country as a whole? Because I mean, a lot of the you know a lot of the the news cycles might be talking about the latest study, the latest research, and if a lot of the studies and research are being done by more liberal uh, you know professors or academics, is that entering the discussion as well nationally? Oh, it's 
it, it certainly is, and as I pointed out in my Scientific American column, the bias comes through rather subtly, like just the kinds of questions you ask. So social scientists, social psychologists, they'll ask questions like, why do people vote Republican? But, but it's treated like, like, why do people get cancer? Yeah. But, you know, it's a disease we have to figure out what this problem is, because why would anybody want to vote? Such a crazy political party. There must be something wrong with them. And they come up with these ad hoc hypotheses about authoritarian personality and they're unbending and they're rule bound and they're and they're and they like hierarchy and all this stuff. Well you can easily flip that around and say, Why do people vote a Democrat? You know, they're they're wishy washy, magic campy, you know, flip flopping, any moral have no moral compass and they're a bunch of bedwetters. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you can flip it around just as easily, but of course they don't because they all share the same bias. Yeah. Now, no, yeah. Examples I, one of the examples I gave was from a study in which uh, subjects were asked about a um, sexual harassment case brought against a, uh, a male boss by a female employee and no, but with no evidence or information provided. You know, what, what do you think is the proper thing to do? Well, it just has one. I, I can't decide, or I think, you know, we should wait and see what the evidence is. That is considered to be a right authoritarian position because you just automatically side with the corporation and the boss, whereas you should be siding with the woman hmm. just because of gender. Well, that's just gender bias. It, it, you don't know what the evidence is, and you can't, you can't judge. But for liberals, judging based on gender is the morally right thing to do, irrespective of the evidence. It, it, that's where the, yeah. that's the real problem. So, oh, it, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Michael, it really, and you see it, and you see it a lot in this political cycle, too, with uh, with Hillary Clinton in there, just simply because, you know, there, there were issues just recently about all of the gender um, equality. But then with Donald Trump in there and, and how he's taking on, and, and maybe some of the, the pain behind this is starting to... I don't know, boil over. Let's let's take a break, Michael. See if we can't figure out a way to get a little bit better line so we can hear uh, hear what you're saying better. I'm just having problems with the cell phone as it's breaking up. Let's take a break, come back. We will continue the discussion with Dr. Michael Shermer. Um, wonderful resource. Uh, if you go to his website, michaelshermer.com, uh, many books have been published as well as a lot of articles in Scientific American where he has a, where he has a, um, a column there. Interesting stuff, folks, about bias and political bias in the social science and uh, academic world and how it impacts how we see things. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone, we have Dr. Michael Shermer um, uh, from michaelshermer.com. He's uh, a great speaker, author, uh, professor. He's written many books. Um, today, he's talking to us about political bias in the academy. Uh, the name of the article in Scientific Magazine was called Left Behind, and all of the political correctness. And in fact, when you think of a Donald Trump and this movement with Donald Trump, 
a lot of people are angry. And as as we were talking last before the last break, I started thinking maybe what Michael's explaining about so many you know people uh, you know in academia and I guess even in the media being more liberal, it might create a bias that. If somebody is conservative, they're just angry. They're frustrated of not having their voice heard, which may have created this the, the Trump phenomenon, one one possible suggestion. So, uh, Dr. Shermer, welcome back to the show. Oh, good. I'm back, and oh. hopefully the uh, yeah. it's a little clearer now. So, yeah, you sound uh, great. I, I, I should point out that there, there are colleges that are not so uh, left-leaning and biased. Georgia Mason University yeah. in Virginia, for example, is very conservative. BYU. Yeah, BYU. Yeah, is that where you're at. Yeah, that's where we are. I te- I teach uh, Tappan University in Orange, and uh, you know it's very it's very centrist. Uh, you know, there's very it's very neutral. Well, politically neutral. Hopefully, there there are a lot of conservative economists, but and some liberal social scientists. But it's, there's more of a balance, so it's not everywhere. Right. But generally speaking, that there's a clear bias, and I think in part this is what's driving the campus protest is that. The, the, you know the, the the chickens have come home to roost. Hmm. Uh, what goes around comes around. These college professors who were lib- super uber liberals in the '60s and '70s, you know, they were students, and now they're the professors, and they've raised these students as children or as their own students uh, to be, you know, hyper PC about everything to the point where, uh, you know, now you have these protests like one at Cal State Fullerton, my alma mater, and where I'm speaking about free speech in a couple of weeks. They just had a sorority reprimanded for having Taco Tuesday events, mm. you know, because wow. of, you know the, the cultural appropriation of Hispanic in the Mexican culture. Well, you know, I got news for you in Southern California. This, there's a lot of this going on because we have a lot of great Mexican restaurants. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, you know, that's the hypersensitivity, like the the uh, the, the brouhaha at, at the Yale University over Halloween costumes. You know, like like these kids needed to have a list of what was appropriate. Like they were children, like they're like they're in the sandbox being told by their parents to play nice. But these are adults, you know. And yeah. uh, I have a I have a list of um, in my talk. I have a list from the University of California of microaggressions. They actually printed a document and handed it out to every student. These are the things you're allowed to say and not allowed to say, including such things as I think the best person should. The most qualified person should get the job, or I don't see race, or I don't judge people based on race. That's now racist. Hmm. So th- this uh, is the this is becoming the hyper PC kind of movement. Do, do you think that that's influencing um, kind of the Trump ex- you know excitement? Because he's well, so kind, he's so anti PC. He's anti PC, and he says he's anti PC. Uh, I think that's what people. Uh, one thing they like about him is he just speaks his mind. He doesn't care what uh, the pundits say, and you know, and, and it's refreshing. Mm. You know, people like to to hear, you know, sticking it to the PC police. Well, South Park did this, you know, brilliantly with PC principle, and uh, you know, their whole series that they had, uh, you know, making fun of the PC police. And <laughs> and uh, anyway, I mean, that's one way to deal with it with humor, and also just you know, come out and say, you know, that's not cool. Uh, but even if even if people do stupid things like say to an Asian, uh, you know, oh, you must be good at math, or or uh, to an African American, oh, I'm surprised that you're good at math. Yeah, I mean that you know that is really boorish and and uncool to say stuff like that. Right. But but these are adults. Do they really need a list? I mean, if somebody says something obnoxious to you, just say, dude, come on, that's not cool. 
you know, don't don't do that. That's that's all. You know, just deal with it yourself. But see, in the culture of in the culture of honor, that's how you do it. You deal, uh, you, you take care of your own problems and you deal with other people like adults. In the culture of victimhood, you run to your parents, or in this case, surrogate parents that form a professors and deans and administrators, and you you know you call the PC police on the other person and. And, and that's also driven in part um, by uh, moral posturing, uh, what we call virtue signaling, where you want to signal to everybody how virtuous you are by preemptively denouncing other people and hmm. thereby gaining moral points. So this is a big thing on college campuses and in social media. Well, yeah. You know, just, just, you know with, that, with no facts at hand, just denouncing other people with, you know, heaping hate on their shoulders just to signal to everybody else, look how, look how cool I am, look how moral I am. Because I'm denouncing all these people, and in part that's how witch hunt, what drives witch hunts in the in the communist show trials. You know, is what's called preemptive denunciation. You denounce others before you get denounced. Yeah. Well, in fact, it was interesting. Did you saw this in Hollywood at um, the Oscars? I mean, there there is an un, there's a an imbalance in um, African Americans, you know, being nominated for Oscars, winning Oscars. And it became a big part of the event, except in, in the middle of the event, Chris Rock also brought on the three accountant kids <laughs> yeah. that were Asian. And, it, I mean, again, another slap in the face, except it was almost there was a hierarchy of – there was a standard, you know, certain things you can't do, but certain things are still laughable. So it, it almost puts all of the PC in a hierarchy. That, that, that's right. And again, another liberal institution, uh, you know, well-known, far left, you know, Hollywood, where this is going on. Why? The Academy in Hollywood, the two most liberal places where all this stuff is happening? Well, that tells you something. Again, the, you know, the, the, what goes around comes around. The roosters have come home to uh, The chickens have come home to roost. You know, we've gone too far. You know, you, you need to balance. There's a reason we have two parties that, you know, that are two polar opposite positions to push against each other so nobody gets too far left or right. That's a good thing. But, hmm. If, if students are only getting one side, then they're not going to understand this, especially when they go to work in a corporation. Could you imagine? You know, I'm protesting Taco Tuesdays. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to they're gonna get slapped down, you know. And, uh, and so college is not preparing them for anything. It's, it's making it worse, in fact. Well, and I guess and, that's uh, it. So, you, you brought up because you can't always be a victim. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes you, you, you can just take a stand. You can just say... In your business setting, that's you know that's inappropriate, and I guess file a report if you want to or whatever. But well, you're not going to you know, win. I mean, you're, at some point, that's, that's right, there's just right. biased people. Look, I mean, stuff does go on, and if if there's a rape or a, a robbery or a murder, call the police. This is what we have the criminal justice system for. Mm. Uh, you know, but everything else, just settle it yourself. You know, if you're a woman and you get catcalled, yeah, dude, don't catcall women. You know, they don't like it, and just don't do it. But if you're a woman and it happens to you, just laugh at them or just ignore them or tell them to go. You know, yeah, but they it. see right there. I can already tell, Michael, you oh, you've just ticked off a bunch of women now because well, I mean, I, they're I, like, I know, but I said it's not cool, guys. Don't catcall yeah. women. They don't like it, you know, so just don't do it. But well, and it's, it's wrong. Bad, right. Yeah. Right. You yeah, can't yeah, do it. Yeah. It's but I mean, I guess part of that is there, there's other ways to do it. I just saw a great video of. Uh, it was something they were doing in Brazil. Uh, it was a it was kind of a gotcha thing where a woman would dress up and she'd walk down the street and some guy would catcall yeah, her and yeah, he'd turn around yeah. and it was his mother. 
She, oh. He was catcalling his mother. And oh, um, <laughs> and so so they found these people, and they set it up, and then they made ads out of it, and it was perfect. It's like, so it's a perfect way to communicate and yep. educate, right? I mean, right. Versus, yep. versus, you know, litigation, lawsuits, and, you yep. know, I don't know. The it's, other thing I, that I, I've been thinking about, too, because I wrote this book called The Moral Art, my, my previous uh, latest book, on moral progress and how far we've come in the last couple centuries. And, you know, student protests in the 60s were over some pretty big things. And I think, comparatively speaking, the big stuff has been done, uh, you, know, via, you know, Vietnam yeah. and, 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 you know, the huge racial biases right. in the South and the Dr. King's marches and all that stuff. And, you know, now, you know, we're sort of left with Halloween costumes. And <laughs> the students, you know, are adults. They still have the same moral sense. They, you know, they want to make the world a better place. Well, what, what have we got to protest? Well, yep. I, I think there's still enough big things that are worth protesting, like ISIS, like female genital mutilation. You know, there's still some issues, plenty of big issues out there that we really don't need to worry about Halloween costumes and taco mm-hmm. days and, and that, that kind of thing. Cultural uh, appropriation, it's, uh, it's misdirected. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to have to we're going to have to take it and, and get into these bigger issues and use our energy, I think, in a more, uh, you know, in a more holistic way. I mean, there's been major advancements and major understanding, I guess, depending on the on the group or the minority, they're going to be thinking there could always be more. We appreciate uh, your insight. Michael Shermer, go go check out his website, michaelshermer.com. And that article in Scientific American left behind political bias in the academy. Uh, it's everywhere, folks. And and again, it's we we can be the better person. We can we can find other healthy ways to um, to push back, to educate, and and to teach people instead of just constant tension and threats. You know, and the witch hunt. Um, interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Stick with us when we come back. We'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what uh, what they're doing in Vegas. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Strangers um, walking down the boulevard uh, couldn't describe it better. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. How you doing? How's Vegas? (laughs) Everything's cool, man. Um, You guys. Semi-final Monday. Semi-final Monday. Today's the day. Are they going to do it? Playing the Zags. NIT bit on the line tonight. <laughs> Are they going to do it? I don't know. What yes, do you think? No, I don't. The, the first two games in the regular season, Matt, were fantastic games. He wins by one in the kennel. And then uh, Gonzaga comes and has a, a three-point win in Provo. And yeah. Both are really good games. The, the losing team had the same amount of points in each game, by the way, 68. Weird. Wow. Yeah. Weird number. Almost the exact score in both games. Very different games, though. And I need to know. I've, I, I've, I'm either going to drive down tonight to watch it. I just need to know if it's worth it. I put my hair on the line, Matt. Yeah. I did not know that. Well. Well, I saw it on a tweet, but I didn't know what you meant. But you did? You did? Explain what you mean, cuz. No, let's just let him try and you, figure it out. You, he's, not, he's not shaving it. I'm not shaving my hair. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? If BYU wins the conference tournament in Vegas, I will dye it blue. Oh, that's smart. Way to keep yeah. it. You got to keep it. Yeah. 
You're not dumb. Right? I mean, right? You know, you're not dumb. You're not going to shave your head. You've got a good ACT. But still. <laughs> Blue hair, I don't know if that falls within the honor code. It so doesn't. It doesn't. excessive? Yeah, you'll have Perhaps. to do this show off well, of campus. If it's for the greater good, I think that they will allow it. Yeah. So if they win, oh. you're going blue. Slippery slope. If they lose, it seems like if, if they well, lose, you're going if blue. They, if they win Tuesday as well. Yeah, they got to win two. Hmm. Spencer just broke the desk. I just broke the desk. Yeah. We just, had an, we just had an incident here. Uh-oh. You guys okay? Any injuries? Are you injured? Are I you, am okay. Are you maimed? No, I'm good. You guys. So, um... Steven, Steven Enfield is all over it. He's... He's right here. He's it, now massaging Spencer's leg. Oh, boy. Oh, stop it, Jerem. <laughs> it's radio. you got to paint a picture. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Not that picture. Nobody wants to see that picture. Well, I want him to win. I would, I'd love to see you with blue hair. I think it'd be... Well, so they have to... Yeah, they have to win tonight, and then they'd have to win tomorrow. Too. But if they win tonight, they should win the next one. Well, they split with uh, St. Mary's if it's that That's team. That's true. They split with Pepperdine if it's that team. So, interesting. BYU is the only team in this tournament to have defeated every team in the league. Man. Everybody got, everybody got swept by at least one team. Yep, BYU did not. Yeah, they got to win, too. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. This is, this is by far, far and away the most important game of the season because it determines BYU's postseason outcome to a degree. If they lose, they will be in the NIT. If they win, they've got a shot tomorrow night against the winner of St. Mary's and Pepperdine. And, and then Rose, all he does is go to NCAA tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Ten, ten full seasons in the books, eight of which are in the NCAA tournament, all at-large bids. This year, at-large, not in the works. Mm. So got to win. Got to win tonight. Got to win. 30 Eastern on BYU Radio, ESPN2. Oh, my heavens. And that you guys must be exhausted. Just No, we're excited. We got a day off yesterday. So yeah, we, the day of rest was much needed. Was it? And I'm sure you just went to church. That's all we did. Church in Vegas. Didn't didn't go out. Didn't good. Do any, no. Good. Good. In a, in a town in a Stay town home. founded by the by the Mormons, you got you have to right. The city in the desert. It, it seemed like it got away from the Mormons a bit. Yeah, that yeah that's this, this is the city that got away. <laughs> there were some good colonies there. This was uh, you know this one this one you know this bit. is where they sent the partiers. Hey, um, the Mormons <laughs> keep coming back here, and they, they don't win. They got to win this tournament. What, what, what do you? have got to win this. Yeah, I need your I need your advice on this. What do you think about Peyton Manning? What's your I take? Think Peyton Manning made the right decision. Yeah, yeah what a get career, out, man. Yeah. yeah, go out on top. Awesome. I mean, he can't gonna, he can't top what he did? No, no, he, and you don't want to come back and just have it all fall apart. Yeah, we no, keep he, say, we keep saying that about this. He show. goes out on top, two time <laughs> Super Bowl champion, and he has a very very bright, lucrative career ahead of him in television if he wants oh. it oh yeah he could probably get his own he could probably get one of his own fr- um papa john stores yeah you he's, he's just working out of papa john's in uh iowa <laughs> right. this summer I'm like, Man, welcome I- to peyton's papa john's whatever network lands peyton manning and he will be on tv that's going to happen you don't think he'll coach i don't think he's gonna coach i think he's a tv guy i, I don't say. think he could tolerate coaching inferior minds that's... because his, his mind is so good that's true. He's like, going to be on television. It. He's going to be on television. Yeah, he would Shia LaBeouf everybody. That's what my producer says. He says it's hard to produce inferior minds. <laughs> Terry says that every day. Ben Bagley can relate. It's, <laughs> it's hard to be the smartest guy in the crew. That's I true. hate that. I hate it. I don't know what that's like. Hey, I didn't tell you guys this, but today is cereal day. Every day is cereal day. So, so I want to know, what's your favorite cereal? 
That's an impossible question. No, if you, if you, oh, yeah, I like that. That's yeah. an impossible question. That no. was a luxury when I was younger. Now it's like every day for my kid. See, it says you're spoiled. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help them, you know, help her have a better life. Why, why uh, Spencer, would you say that's impossible? If I sent you to prison and you had one cereal. Oh, it depends on my mood. That's the thing. Uh, you're mood-based. Yeah, you're a mood eater. Uh-huh. You're a prison <laughs> mood eater. But if I had to take one cereal. One cereal forever. To prison forever. <laughs> <laughs> Why is I it prison? Can it be a desert island? Nope, Why it's prison. prison. It's prison. Because you need something <laughs> that comforts that. you. You need something that <sighs> keeps you safe for you're that prison. 10 minutes that you're eating. <laughs> something you can barter. Meanwhile, you're looking around like, is that guy going to beat me up? Is that guy going to hit me with a sock full of batteries? You know, I'd probably go with... I ate a T-bone for dinner. <laughs> oh, well, because that's situational... And, like, you need it to comfort you, and yeah. you're going to need sustenance and all that. Yeah. Pick one. It's not going to be a sugar cereal. <gasps> it's not. How what? can you eat cereal that no sugar in it? Well, you got it does all... have some sugar in it, but it's not going to be raisin primarily yes, Raisin Bran Crunch. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, raisin Bran Crunch no. is what I would go Trust with. Trust me, there's sugar in that. I, ate non- I know there's sugar in it, but I'm saying it's not going to be, like, corn pops. you got all day to pops. work out, Spencer. You're in prison, man. You you have a few I minutes of enjoyment. I energy from the raisins and the bran and raisin bran crunch. Is he? Um, I I like when I was younger. We just ate like Rice Krispies. Yeah. No, um, corn flakes. Cheerios, corn flakes. Like this is <laughs> torture. That is so sad. Uh, yeah, some of the guys on the crew that are older than us are like, we didn't even have that luxury when I... we got a sugar like a primarily sugar cereal at our house, it lasted about four hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, My sisters would say, save it. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> eat it now. We may we'll be in prison later. tomorrow. I know. That's why we'll I like eat. the prison metaphor. Now, if we I, got Fruit Loops or Frosted Flakes, oh, it was all over, man. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad we solved it. So basically, um, um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Raisin Bran Crunch. Definitely going with the crunches when you're in prison. Yeah, crunch it up. Crunch it up. Um, I would still, I, I think I would probably go, I don't know, Honey Nut Cheerios. Classic. 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 That's, that's pretty Classic. good, but I, I, need Call me some, old fashioned. I need something hearty, sustenance, raisin bran crunch. Dude, you're in prison. <laughs> you're in prison. Think honey Nut Cheerios are not going to allow you to do anything of worth in prison. <laughs> I need to defend You're going to be hungry 30 minutes later. Right. But then you'll have, you'll have their slop. This is what they You'll be hungry for freedom the whole time. I gotta let you guys go. Holy cow! You got a show to do. Okay, um, we, we wish you the best of luck. Go serial it up, and we'll then and then make sure that the Cougs win tonight. Because I don't want to call you if the Zags won. So do what you can. That's all I'm it's saying. It's gonna be a tough game. Okay, if knock him dead. Win, it's gonna be close. I think. Be good. Peace win out. For blue hair. That's the theme of blue hair. Have fun, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. He's going to do his hair blue. That's why I'm glad that we don't have to, you know, put our hair on the line. We could always start. I don't want to. I just kind of want to shave my head. I'd support that. I'd support you in that decision. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of work. Shaving your head. A lot of work. Hey, um, you know. On the show, we, we always try to find different diets, things you can do to make yourself feel better. This is out. Uh, it's official, folks. 
Welcome news for chocolate lovers. Eating chocolate regularly appears to improve mental skills. A study published in the journal Appetite found that people who ate chocolate at least once a week perform better at mental skills than those who ate chocolate less often. Researchers looked at 968 adults who were part of a long-term health study. Chocolate and cocoa flavanols have been associated with improvements in a range of health complaints uh, dating from ancient times and have established cardiovascular benefits, but less is known about the effects of chocolate on neurocognition and behavior. All that said, folks, the more chocolate you eat, the better your ACT score, which I've been telling people forever. So if you want to be the smartest person in, Chris, in uh, prison, Spencer should be eating Cocoa Crisps. All the flavanols, folks. You could win every Trivial Pursuit activity in prison. You might also want to make sure, Ben, that you're adding enough uh, chocolate into your ice creams that you're that you're making for people. I could sell it as a health food. You totally could. I know people. I know an, a company that does sell chocolate as a health food. You know, I've also talked about it on the show. It, it's also psychologically, it makes people very happy. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I mean, forget the 14% fat or the yeah, whatever. I mean, it has a health food in it. Yeah, whatever. Right, exactly. The fat just probably helps the medicine go down. It, it lubricates like your the channels to get it to your brain. Yes, that's, that's how I see it. It's called chain. It's called brain channel lubrication. Yeah, it's it's a medical term. It's a medical term. Jeez, bringing you another medical term. Hey, uh, as we like to do, we want to wrap up the show talking about our hero of the day. Our hero is a Pearl Harbor survivor, 96 years old. He receives a half a dozen medals during a military ceremony in Brooklyn. This comes from the New York Daily News.com. World War II vet and Pearl Harbor survivor finally received his just due Saturday, nearly 75 years after surviving that day that lives in infamy. For his service... Um, Reverend James Blakely, 96, received a half a dozen medals during a military ceremony at Fort Hamilton Community Club in Brooklyn. I'm getting what I didn't think I would ever get, Blakely said. I have a lot of memories. I wish I could say all of my memories were joyful. About 100 people, soldiers, sailors, and loved ones, gathered to pay homage to uh, the soft-spoken, kind, and assuming, unassuming war hero. Blakely, who is black, joined the Navy in 1939 to escape the conditions of his Little Rock, Arkansas home in a segregated South. He was a Navy cook aboard the St. Louis on December 7, 1941, when the Japanese bombed the Hawaiian base. I remember when the word came over the loudspeaker, all hands, man your battle stations. This is not a drill, Blakely recounted. And uh, anyway, he deserves it, folks, as do all of those that have gone before trying to just make our world a lot better make sure you're remembering them throughout the day when you see somebody in uniform thank them for their work their willingness to uh, do what they can that's the show folks until tomorrow we'll come back do it all again go check out our our uh, uh go find us on itunes on tune in go look us up on the byu radio app it's we're everywhere folks plus you can just go to byuradio.org to get all of our past shows this is the matt townsend show we'll be back again tomorrow until then take care of each other and make it a great one